This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. So is this just what we do now? Shoot flying saucers out of the sky? Is anyone else concerned about this? We are in an unprecedented moment in human history and in American history. All right. So the balloon situation makes sense. We're told right away this is a Chinese spy balloon, and I buy it. I absolutely buy it. And I heard what Colonel – my attitude was once it flew over American airspace – and especially since we knew it was a Chinese balloon, that, look, it would have been nice to capture the balloon, know something about the surveillance technology they have and they're using. Uh, But uh, my inclination was it should have probably been shot down. Colonel Douglas McGregor, who we spoke to on this subject, I think on Thursday morning or Wednesday morning, he did cause me to second guess that belief a little bit. But okay, put that aside. Now, three more objects that we have no idea what they are shot down. One looks like a a flying octagon. One looks spherical. Have you heard these descriptions that they're giving these objects? They sound exactly like flying saucers. So uh, one, obviously by now I think a lot of you know this, but the most recent one, the sun, the uh, the Friday one was shot down over uh, Alaska. The Saturday one was shot down over Canadian airspace. And then Sunday, I had a friend over uh, before the the football game, the the big game, as you know. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But he told me, "Did we shoot down another one of these UFOs?" I said, "No, that was yesterday." He said, "No, I just got a breaking news alert." I said, "What?" You mean a fourth one within five days? Sure enough, we turned on one of the news channels, and my phone was blown up too. And we have indeed shot down four of these things. Uh, it's clear to me that the three subsequent objects that we have shot down were not Chinese. You know why? Because the government would have, if even there was a possibility of them being Chinese, intelligence officials would have said to the media, sources, and you'd see the articles that say sources close to the intelligence community believe these to be Chinese in nature. The fact that nobody has said that tells me these are not Chinese. So um, what are these things? 800-848-9222. Now, the latest speculation is that, uh, you know, maybe the government was a little embarrassed by the fact that there's been balloons flying over our country for the last five years, including balloons that we didn't know about until after. And so one of the things that we're we're doing is tweaking our surveillance, tweaking our radar, and we're seeing objects that we wouldn't have seen prior to this radar. Maybe there's some truth to that. Maybe there's some truth to that. We're just shooting them down. 
So that's what we're doing. So far, to my knowledge anyway, it hasn't been reported that we've recovered any of these. So the government either doesn't know what these objects are or they're not saying. So it is interesting to me, you know, whenever we would discuss UFOs on this program, I would always say the same thing. The argument is not, are there UFOs? Because, of course, there are. The director of National Intelligence report documents instance after instance of military people seeing objects in the sky that they can't explain. That's not That's not at all the question. The question is, what are these objects? And uh, that's the question I've been asking for three years on this program. I haven't been out there saying these are all aliens or these are all time travelers from the future or these are all, uh, I don't know, beings from another dimension. I have no idea what they are. Now, now that we're shooting down these objects which are textbook UAPs slash UFOs. Now I think everybody's asking the same question that I've been asking. Not, are there UFOs? Clearly there are. What are they? So now the latest explanation of this is, uh, I heard this on the way in, that they believe that these are weather balloons and that they're being detected because of the tweaks made to the radar. We couldn't detect weather balloons before these tweaks? I don't know about you. Is the government not saying or do they not know? What do you think they are? Do you think they're Chinese? 800-848-9222. I don't think they're Chinese because you have both the Chinese government denying it. Okay, uh, what, what stock do we put in that? And you have our own government denying it. So um, Brigadier General of the Air Force Pat Ryder said uh, before the fourth shootdown, we have no further details about the object at this time. This is of the third object, including any description of its capabilities, purpose, or origin. Later that same night, NORAD detected another object over Alaska and two American F-22s began tracking it. On Saturday, the UFO drifted into Canadian airspace and the F-22s were joined by two Canadian aircraft. That's okay. So he made those comments Friday. Biden's national security advisors saw the UFO as a serious enough issue that the president was continually briefed by his national security team. A U.S. F-22 shot down the object uh, over the Canadian Yukon using a Sidewinder air-to-air missile. As with the Friday night UFO, we still don't know what it was that we shot down. Is anybody else troubled by this? I certainly am. Now, uh, there's a lot of different possibilities here. And let me be clear, I don't have any answers. So if you're listening to this program expecting answers from me, you're out of luck. What I have are questions. If you have answers, have at it. 800-848-9222. One of the things that's also interesting to me is one of the political subtexts of this that has emerged in the last week. You remember what one of the big fights was with the holdouts, the Freedom Caucus, the Lauren Boebert, Matt Gates group, you, you know, the Paul Gosar, the, the group of uh, a couple of dozen rebels that refused to vote for Kevin McCarthy for Speaker. What was one of their key demands? And remember, this is a group of people that has enormous amount of sway in Washington right now. One of their key demands was they wanted major defense cuts. 
the Freedom Caucus, the conservative wing of the GOP in the House, they wanted major defense cuts. McCarthy and the mainstream House Republicans, they don't want those defense cuts. Joe Biden doesn't want those defense cuts. The Democrats don't want defense cuts because the more money the government is spending on defense, the more money that means for their districts because a lot of it is spent on military bases. A lot of it is money that finds their way to campaign contributors and lobbyists. Just a few days ago, Joe Biden proposed the largest defense budget in history. Well, now, one of the things that we've seen over the last five days, according to The Hill, the newspaper, is mainline Republicans are using these balloons and these objects that are being shot down by F-22s with Sidewinder missiles at, what, what half a million dollars a pop, right? How much do you think a Sidewinder missile costs? It's not cheap, I'll tell you that. They are using this as a um, means of saying this is why we should not cut defense. They're saying this is why we need to pump more money into defense. Does anybody else find that interesting? Could be a coincidence. Could be, right? The most powerful group in Washington right now, the House Freedom Caucus, which could call a vote to remove the speaker with one vote member asking for it, which can has enormous influence on the debt ceiling debate and everything else. They want major defense cuts, and the president is polar opposite of that. He's proposing the biggest defense budget in history, and all of a sudden, you have all these congressmen that come out and say, wait a minute, we can't cut defense. Look at all these objects that are flying over North America. I am very suspicious of the official government story on this. I am very suspicious of the unofficial government story on this. Now, it could be a coincidence that they're using this as a rationale not to cut defense. Maybe if it wasn't this, they'd find some other reason not to cut defense. I'd find the timing very circumspect. What do you think these objects are, number one? How do you think the government is handling this, number two? And do you think there's anything to the fact that now some House Republicans are using this as an opportunity not to cut defense spending? The New York Times placed the UFOs from Friday and Saturday in the context of the recent UFO report from the government. This is what the Times said. There were multiple theories in Washington as to the provenance of the objects, but several Biden administration officials cautioned that much remained unknown about the last two objects shut down. Now you could just say the last three objects shut down. The United States has long monitored UFOs that enter American airspace, and officials believe that surveillance operations by foreign powers, weather balloons, or other airborne clutter may explain the most recent incidents of unidentified aerial phenomenon. However, nearly all of the incidents that are documented in the report remain officially unexplained. Intelligence agencies are set to deliver a classified document to Congress by Monday updating that report. That's today. The original document looked at 144 incidents between 2004 and 2021 that were reported by U.S. government sources, mostly American military personnel. The Washington Post notes that we're likely going to detect 
more objects because we've opened the filters. So we'll see where this goes. I find it very interesting. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Let me begin with Kenny in Brooklyn. Hello, Kenny. Frank, how you doing, man? I'm hanging in there, Kenny. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know a lot of stuff has been going on, man. Since you've been um, since you've been on, I was talking to, uh, you know, I was listening to Curtis and stuff. But hey, let me let me get right to this, okay? You know, like a lot of people who call in here, we know the the inside on this UFO community. This stuff has been going on for decades. But people who are not in the know think that we're all crazy. If people took some time to really do some research on this and look at the credible amount of people throughout the decades, including military people, politicians who've gone publicly and said there's something going on, that they that there's definitely something going on. I have a recent article that was posted today from Time.com, okay, uh, at uh, February 12, 9.58. They said, the article says they haven't ruled out the general... Okay, let me read you what it actually says, so you, can, you guys can go look it up. It says... Um, I'll let the intel community and counterintelligence figure that out. They said, and I quote, I haven't ruled anything out. This guy, his name is General Glenn Van Erick. He's the commander of U.S. Northern Command and Northern uh, American Air Defense Command, which is called NORAD, NORAD, N-O-R-A-D. It says, and I quote, I haven't ruled anything out. Van Rick said when asked if aliens could be involved. He said, at this point, we continue to assess every threat, a potential threat unknown that approaches North America. And then he says, um, I am not going to categorize them as balloons, Van Rick says. He says, uh, well, I just lost it here. Yeah, no, I, I saw his comments, General Van Herc, and, um, and if you can, Ken, just uh, turn your radio off if you can. Okay. But I did find it very interesting that he said that because normally, normally what a bureaucrat would say or a Pentagon person to not uh, sound too controversial, to not be talked about on late night radio shows, normally what they'd say is something along the lines of, we have no reason to believe that. But that's not what he said. He said what you just quoted. Yeah, go ahead. The thing, Frank, is that you were saying they're trying to get money. Yeah, I understand that. But they could just say it's a Chinese balloon and get money. They don't have to come out and say that this is right. right, and thank you for the call, Kenny. They could also say it's Russian, right? All you have to do these days is say Russia, 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 and the spigot's open. Look what we did for Ukraine, $100 billion. I mean, do you think... If you look at all the things that we've blamed Russia for lately, right, we blame them for the uh, Havana syndrome. Turns out there's no evidence of that. If you said, well, who knows, this could be a Russian non-state operator, don't you think that's the kind of thing that the American people would swallow right now? And, uh, oh, they would open the floodgates. But they're not saying that either. Now, maybe they're not saying that because they don't want the American people to know that China or Russia has the technology to get drones or flying saucers or flying octagons to North America. They don't want people panicked. Some people have speculated this could be some sort of an EMP test or something. Here was Senator Chuck Schumer, the Senate Majority Leader on CBS's Face the Nation. Look, I think the Chinese were humiliated. I think the Chinese were caught lying. What? And I think it's a real, it's, it's a real step back for them. Yes, I think they're going to have to, I think they're humiliated? probably going to have to get rid of it or do something because they look really bad. And they're not just doing the United States. This is a crew of balloons. We saw one in South America. They've probably been all over the world. 
What planet am I on? The Chinese had a giant balloon that went from Montana to the Carolinas? And it was the Chinese that were humiliated? I mean, you know who's humiliated? A friend of mine was over yesterday, and he sees a soccer ball that my son Carmine was gifted. It's a a Team USA soccer ball. He looks at it. It's made in China. Even a Team USA soccer ball is made in China. I'm humiliated. America is humiliated. We're not even making American flags in America. We're not even making Team USA merchandise in America. We're making it in China. I don't know what planet Chuck Schumer is on, but uh, that's per normal. Bill Burns was on this show, I think, on Thursday morning. And he had an interesting observation on the Chinese balloon. And uh, this it's difficult to remember this far long ago. This was four, this was three unidentified flying objects ago. So three UFOs ago, we will take you back in time to Bill Burns's theory. Imagine that what they wanted to get from us, and they got it. What they wanted to get was what would our air defenses look like as the balloon passed over? That's why it lingered, Frank. If they just wanted intelligence, get in, get out, they would have done that the way they did it um, five years ago, six years ago. This was different. What they wanted from and, – and in fact, even though this was different, this is the exact same thing that happened over 60 years ago during the Eisenhower administration. In 1962, Francis Gary Powers was shot down in a U-2 over the Soviet Union. And the question was, and uh, Chris Wallace did this on ABC News, um, why would we do that? Why would we have the plane flying so low that the Soviet air defenses um, were alerted and shot the plane down? Why? Because what we wanted was just that. We wanted to trigger the Soviet Union's anti-aircraft defenses so we knew what their capabilities were. That's what the Chinese are doing. What do you think? 800-848-9222. This has all sorts of implications. Obviously, it has national security implications. It has foreign policy implications. It has political implications. It has scientific implications. It has media implications. This is wild. An absolutely wild scenario that we're witnessing right now. We're shooting objects out of the sky that nobody can explain what they are. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Joe in New Jersey. Hello, Joe. Yeah, I was just having an argument with my brother about that, that uh, we should we should be hearing what's in that uh, what was in that balloon in the Carolinas. We're hearing precious little and we should have the wreckage that we know what we're shooting down at this point. Somebody's not telling us something. You're you're right. So what, what, what do you have a theory, Joe, as to why we're not being told? Do you think it's because the government doesn't know or are they keeping something from us? Uh, they may be keeping something from us. I mean, we we should know. We probably have enough of that wreckage in, in the Carolinas. It shouldn't be that hard to get, to figure out what exactly, get an idea at least of what was in that balloon. 
a little bit more than what we're hearing. Do you think the Chinese spy balloon, the original balloon that went from Montana to the Carolinas, do you think that it's tied to these three other objects, the Michigan object, the Alaska one, and the Canada one? Well, those are, I, I, I don't know. At this point, we don't even know right. what they You're are. Right. They're called EAPs. All right, UAPs. Right. Yeah, yeah. right. Right. Thank you, Joe. 800 Yeah, some people are speculating that this could be an EMP-style test to see if there was going to be an EMP weapon or something. And, again, I'm not trying to – I do like to have fun with conspiracies on late-night radio from time to time, but I'm not trying to alarm anyone or fan the fames of conspiracies, but uh, fan the flames of conspiracies. But people are speculating about that. What do you think? 800-848-9222. Anthony is in New Jersey. Hello, Anthony. Anthony! Frank. Hey, yeah. how you doing? Sorry about that. That's all right. What's, What's on your mind, people? pal? Um, all right. So um, there's two things that I, I think are happening here. Um, on the Internet, I saw something, the MIT Technologies Review. Um, it says uh, what they're doing is that they're putting balloons up in the air for, to, to, to release reflective sulfur particles for geoengineering. And then it said something about uh, uh, Mexico in, in that area. You could look it up at uh, technologiesreview.com. Um, or uh, maybe it's the ground dealers or someone. That, that want, because they, they think the same balloon, um, they said it had American technology in it. Wait, wait, wait. Right? So, Somebody Anthony, had... you broke up there a couple times, so I missed some of what you said. What had American technology in it? They said the first one, the Chinese balloon. They found American technology inside of it. After uh, the debris, yeah. after the debris was recovered. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. Well, that wouldn't. Now, 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 another thing. Why would China want to go to war with us? You realize almost half of their import export is, 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 is the United States of America. Well, also, yeah, I don't think they do. Anthony, thank you. Also, I'm uh, your phone's a little weird there. I, um, you know, we're in very much a frenemy relationship with China right now, which is our economies are completely codependent on one another, but there are uh, relations that are getting very heated. By the way, the. One of the stories that you might have seen reported is that there were the there were these green laser lines over a Hawaii observatory. And now the speculation is that these green lasers, which look a lot like they would be a typical UFO sighting, might have been a Chinese weather satellite. Why are all these Chinese weather satellites coming to North America? Hmm. All right, 800-848-9222. We're going to continue with your calls in just a moment. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Crazy 
by Wilbert Harrison. We are playing this 1959 classic in honor of the Kansas City Chiefs who won the big game yesterday. They won the Super Bowl yesterday. Very proud of them. I was supporting the Chiefs. I'm glad they won. We'll talk a little bit more about the Super Bowl festivities next hour. Uh, Hopefully uh, you enjoyed the game. Maybe you went to a party, got to enjoy some nice food. You know, I hit a ton of traffic on the way uh, on the way here and that's I was leaving shortly after the game ended and I think a lot of that, I mean part of it might have been it was starting to rain but I think part of that was people coming home from Super Bowl parties so uh, hopefully you went somewhere fun you did something fun maybe you had some uh, friends over whatever you did hope you had fun 800-848-9222 we are talking about the I don't know how to describe this as anything but alarming situation regarding the balloon followed by three UFOs that we shot down. What are these things? How is the government handling this? How are you dealing with this? 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Steve in Florida. Hello there, Steve. Hey, Frank. Hey. I'm doing well in Florida. We have a lot of space rockets going off here. I can imagine, <laughs> I yeah. I tried to watch one last night, but it was a little cloudy out. <laughs> okay. I, I have I have a few statements that are a little off the wall, I want to say, and mm, I have questions uh, that I think maybe your listeners may be able to answer after they uh, get off the line. I have questions that no one has asked. Um, those balloons were up like 60,000 feet. And uh, I was looking it up. They do have drones that will go 60,000 feet up. I haven't heard any of the media ask, why are they not bringing the balloons down without shooting them down? Well, I think that's a great question. I mean, I, I think. I, I, my, another question is, yeah. we, I'm going to give you a crazy scenario, okay? Mm-hmm. First of all, I'm going to say we can land objects on Mars, put radio-controlled crafts on there. You know, we have uh, buggies up there, whatever they call them. But, and uh, my scenario is, if there was a five-year-old child, say, in, like, in a life-support spacesuit on that balloon, okay, he's 60,000 feet up. I don't know if they got to be in a life-support spacesuit or what. But are they going to shoot that down, or are they going to try to get that baby down out of there? Well, I, I mean, I would hope they would get the baby down. So your point is that we have the technology to not shoot these things down and to recover these things without destroying them. That's your point. Yes, and I have more to say. Okay, let's hear it. Okay, we talk about aliens, okay? Well, right now we have aliens from all over the world coming to the United States. And I just saw on the news just recently there's a lot of Chinese aliens coming in. You saw that recently? I just saw it yesterday in the news. Yeah. Yeah, well, I covered that Thursday with uh, Doug McGregor. Oh, okay, well, I missed it. And then another thing is, I mean, uh, I talked to, uh, I know someone that but, is but, a meteorologist. Right, but, but what does that have to do with these Navy, objects? A Naval Academy grad. He's been in the Navy. He's a retired uh, Right, but Steve, officer. the point that you brought up about the Chinese aliens, what does that have to do with these these objects? Oh, no, you're just talking, I'm just a joke. Oh, 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 okay. okay. (laughs) That's just a comical joke. Yeah. And I also have another comical joke. If they would bring the 
aircraft down, they'd probably find a little sticker that says "Made in China." Oh uh, well, yeah. Uh, I, now, isn't that something that even uh, even other planets are outsourcing their manufacturing to China? Um, go uh, ahead. One Steve. more thing. Yeah. Everybody, Russia, you know, say, you know, we don't know who it is. I believe it's China. Everybody wants to get be number one. The United States is number one in, in you know, space, technology, ahead, you know. Right. Childhood Russia obesity. Right, I mean, China's right next to us there. China's getting ready to go above us. I mean, China used uh, the president's son, you know, to get information, I believe. You know, I don't want to say everybody believes. And it's just they want to get as much as they can. Why would they not send spy balloons here? And knowing that they go so slow, and how many have they have passed us that we don't even know about? They could be a hundred balloons that gone by, and we're just finding about out about it now. Well, we now that's all I have to say. You can let other people talk. All right, I appreciate the permission for that, Steve. Thank you. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Steve has given us the permission to let other people talk. So if you're other people other than Steve, you now have permission to speak. Speak as you see fit. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to um, Peter in Tribeca. Hello, Peter. Hey, Frank. What's up? How are you? I'm hanging in there. Thank you. <laughs> okay. I have my thoughts on these uh, things. For one, I've seen the UFO pretty close up. Uh, I'll get into that in a second. And I was interviewed by MUFON and all that about it. Um, but my thought on these things, for one, why do they even need balloons? I mean, they got to have a thousand satellites up there, you know. So the balloon is is a, is a little this probably something else behind it. From the beginning, I said, why didn't they just stick a pin in it and deflate this thing slowly and get it down to the ground, which people started talking about later, but. I think possibly maybe the balloon is a diversion for the other object that they that we did shoot down. Now, they probably have a lot of the same technology as we do with anti-gravity, you know, gravity, uh, magnetic, mm-hmm. sure. things like that. So if these things that are cylindrical or octagonal or whatever shapes they may be um, uh, could be could be the, the real uh things that were collecting information and floating around up there. Or what made sense to me, uh, what you said before about maybe they were ours and they're trying to, they just, well, okay, we're shooting these things down, uh, you know, because of the defense spending and wanting to not cut the budget and all that. So that's my thought on these things. But the China's got satellites up there. And the balloon, to me, I, you know, I mean, it, it makes no sense having balloons floating around. Well, right. Uh, like I mean, that. and that's such a good point, Peter. And that's similar to what Colonel McGregor mentioned on uh, on Thursday. I think you're right. I mean, I think um, I, I think that's a fine point. Peter, thank you. 800-848-9222. Now. Uh, I did. A lot of people have been asking, so let me uh, tell you about this. Those of you that are holding, I will get to you. A lot of folks have been asking uh, about my weekend with William Shatner, which was a great deal of fun. So if you're new to the show, if you're just uh, coming home late from a Super Bowl party and you're uh, stumbling upon this program, I have the distinct pleasure of talking about – of. Uh, So I was interviewing William Shatner promoting this upcoming screening of Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan, which is a great film, a film that a lot of people believe is one of the best sequels of all time. Usually the list is Godfather Part II, Terminator 2, 
Empire Strikes Back, Star Trek Two. That's kind of the list of people's best sequels. So I'm interviewing Shaq. I had already gotten tickets to go see him in Red Bank, New Jersey on Friday. And I'm interviewing him, and he was very complimentary about uh, some of the questions that I was asking. And about the third or fourth time he's saying what a great question I asked him, he said, well, why don't you join me on stage and help moderate the discussion? So lo and behold, Friday, they asked me to do both shows, Friday in Red Bank, New Jersey, and Saturday in Englewood, New Jersey. And I have to tell you, it was uh, absolutely incredible. Incredible. I now, on the one hand... And you know, you know the old saying about Alexander the Great, and he wept because there were no more worlds left to conquer. I honestly don't know what's left for me to aspire to, right? Because to spend two nights uh, talking about Star Trek with William Shatner and to have dinner with William Shatner, which we did backstage both nights, is really, if I were terminally ill, that would be my wish, and it's been granted. So I thought it went really well. Uh, look, you know, you're never your own best critic, but I I don't want to say it couldn't have gone better because obviously when you look at things in hindsight, you always think, uh, I could have asked that, I could have done that differently, I could have segued that, I could have done things a little bit differently. So, but I think it went really well. Everyone I spoke to, including a lot of friends and family, they all had a great time. I posted some photos on uh, the Facebook that people had taken at Facebook.com slash MoranoFan. So I had, um, we had purchased tickets, my, my brothers, my wife, my sister-in-law, and me. So we got five tickets, and we were all going. But then, obviously, when I got the opportunity to host the show, I didn't need my ticket. So my co-brother-in-law, James, was going to take it. He has a uh, two-week-old, so obviously he has to be home with his wife, and he couldn't, couldn't be there. So we give the ticket to a friend of ours, Jessica. So she comes with us. It's Rachel, Jessica, and me. We're driving out to Red Bank, New Jersey. And, of course, of course, my brother Nicholas has the tickets. Now, I don't know why we didn't think about this. I could have gotten comp tickets for us, and we could have sold the tickets that we bought and probably gotten better seats right? than, than they ended up having. But I was able to get them the VIP experience. Now, what's the VIP experience? It's that you get to take a picture with William Shatner after the show. So the, it was a movie, Star Trek II, Q&A, Shatner and me, and then if you have the VIP experience, which 300 people did each night, you got to take a picture with Shatner. <clears throat> so, of course, my brother Nicholas is late. And he blamed my brother Alex because they came together from Brooklyn. And Rachel, as she's seen the film before, but she didn't, you know, she doesn't know it like I know it. She only saw it once a couple of years ago. She missed the beginning of the film because she's out there waiting for my brother to show up with these tickets. He couldn't figure out how to transfer them digitally. So that was uh, that. Was that. Now, um, the experience itself of being able to hang out with William Shatner is just as cool as you think it would be. You know, I've told the story about Mel Brooks meeting Cary Grant, and after three days of hanging out with Cary Grant, he was trying to avoid him everywhere. So I w- was in my dressing room, and Shatner comes a little late. He doesn't watch the film. 
So he comes a little late. The film starts at 7.30 or so. He arrives at 8 o'clock, and I get the knock, you know, on my dressing room door. The lady comes, Brandy, and she says, Joe Piscopo is here, and he's asking for you. And Do you want to see him? And I was very tempted to almost say, no, 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 no. Tell Joe I don't have time, which I was not going to do, obviously. And Mr. Shatner's arriving. So I go down to the area where, where Joe is, and I see that he's already talking with um, William Shatner. Shatner had just arrived, and he's talking with Joe Piscopo. So I um, I go and greet Joe Piscopo and William Shatner, and Shatner sees that Joe and I know one another, and uh, Shatner says, oh, you guys know one another? Blah, blah, blah. And so then um, Shatner goes into his room, his dressing room, to kind of get ready. I'm talking to Joe a few minutes. And then I said, all right, Joe, you know, I have to go prepare the questions, but I don't want to leave him by himself backstage. But, you know, Joe, he's friends with everybody. He knows a lot of the people at the Count Basie Theater. So he then goes and does his thing. I organize the questions that people submitted. And then uh, I get a text from the person running the door that says, you know, we're having a snack backstage if you want to join us and chat a little bit before dinner arrives. So I go down there and we're chatting. We're talking about. All sorts of things. I mean, the amount of subjects that we covered in an hour privately together, staggering. We covered what makes a good driver, meaning the drivers they had, his travel schedule, a person I know in the radio business, Michael Horn, who he happens to be good friends with. We covered the the football, Super Bowl parties, Thai food, Japanese food, uh, his marriages, um, alcoholism, addiction, he had a lot of questions about Joe Piscopo. He was asking about Joe Piscopo. A lot of questions about uh, uh, all sorts of things. Really just very interesting conversation. Then, of course, obviously we went over the run of show. Um, you know, what, you know, he has certain stories that he likes to tell. And we were going through some of the questions. Great. We get out there and uh, <clears throat> do the show. I think it went really well. Uh, do the Q&A. And then I get the call the, right after the show ends from my wife and there's keep in mind they have the vip wristbands to get a picture with shatner and so my wife calls and she says is there any way that you can get us to the front of the line so that we don't have to wait for all 300 of these people so then um oh and by the way so at this point my friend arthur idala was there he got tickets he was there with his son he's backstage he ended up backstage somehow with joe piscopo and in uh shatner's dressing room it's piscopo idala me and idala's son and uh idala's asking for advice on living to his 90s because he's got a baby that's carmine's age and he said he's got to make it to her 40th birthday and okay and you know, Piscopo is very complimentary of my performance. Not not the performance. I just basically sat there and asked questions. So, and I didn't have to ask that many questions uh, because Shatner gives very expansive answers. So then, I got to meet a lot of listeners. So then I am I'm trying to get permission to have my family cut the line, basically. So they said, yes, okay, fine. Bring them to the front of the line. So I go and get them. And I bring them backstage, and they go to the front of the line. We line up, just like everybody else, but in front, to take a picture with William Shatner. Now, this was one thing that a lot of listeners that I met and a lot of people that I met there had a little bit of a complaint about. And I, I can understand why, is when you take – keep on the people paying for this VIP experience, 
they paid about 100 bucks. So <clears throat> there was a plexiglass divider separating Shatner from whomever he's taking the picture with. So it almost is like you're you're beside him. You're not taking a picture with him. You're taking a picture beside him. It almost looks like you're in a separate room. It looks like he's in a chamber next to you. So I could understand if people paid why they might have been uh, a little irked about it. But um, we were we were just thrilled. So then we go home, and I thought it was a great night. Very excited. And then we get to do it again the the next day. And the next day had a little bit of a different vibe. It was a little more serious. The first night, Shatner was a little more silly. Now, keep in mind, he did one of these shows Thursday in Indiana, then another one Friday. Also, keep in mind, next month he's going to be 92 years old. He's walking around, running around on that stage, emoting. He's, I mean, he's got more energy at 92 than I've ever had. So <clears throat> we, the next day, the Englewood performance, he let me ask more questions. And I think, I don't know if it was a reflection of maybe he was a little tired or maybe he grew to trust my questioning ability. The first night, I didn't get to ask that many questions because he gave such long answers, and clearly he had a lot of stories that he wanted to tell. I don't know if he was picking up the energy of the crowd or that kind of a thing, but it was, uh, I got to take a picture with him before the show on Friday. I didn't, you know, we were hanging out both uh, Friday backstage and Saturday when we had dinner. We had dinner two nights, and we were hanging out like uh, peers, like friends. So I didn't want to be a total groupy because he knows what a Shatner holic I am and ask for you know him to and I brought all sorts of stuff for him to sign but I couldn't bring myself to ask him to do it one because I didn't want to bother him because I know he's about to do 90 minutes to an hour and 45 minutes of doing nothing but talking and then to take 300 pictures after that oh by the way I know you're about to you know you, you, you've given me the opportunity to share the stage with you for an hour and a half and you're you're about to talk for an hour and a half and then take pictures with 300 people but here's this uh, here's five books that I've purchased can, can you can you sign each of these so I couldn't do it but because it would also change the dynamic of kind of the 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 conversation we were having we were on a conversation as peers or, you know, if not friends, certainly people that were friendly, it would have just very changed. But I made sure to get a picture. I had to get a picture, um, and I posted that on Facebook, facebook.com slash fan. So then the next day, we're having dinner again, and Shatner was very complimentary. I said, Mr. Shatner, well, he said, call me Bill. He has me call him Bill. I said, Bill, is there anything that you want me to change? Is there anything you want me to do more of, do less of? And he says, I thought you were perfect, which was nice to hear. So then we're having a very deep dinner conversation on Saturday. We're talking about the five people that you would invite to dinner throughout history. And he had an interesting list. We're talking about comedy. We're talking about Curb Your Enthusiasm. We're talking about trees. He showed me the list of books that he's reading on his Kindle. It's a very deep list, mostly nonfiction very interesting. We're talking about science. We're talking about all sorts of things. We're talking about food. We're talking about Caribbean fusion. We're talking about all sorts of things. Then, and again, talking about Joe Piscopo. Then again, um, he's so into, I, I'm asking him questions about what he's reading. But in the back of my brain, I'm thinking, you know, aside from that one snapshot I took Friday, I really have no memento of this night. And I'm thinking to myself, 
you know, can I can I grab like maybe a napkin that he used or something and take it? I said, no, I can't. There's only three of us back here. Everyone's going to see me take this napkin and it's going to look weird. I can't do that. But that's in the back of my brain. So <laughs> one of the most amusing moments was he's reading from his Kindle. I don't remember the title of the book. I'm going to try and get it from him. He's reading from his Kindle a book about humor and philosophy. And it's about, and I wish I had the title because I want to get this book. It's all about philosophical jokes. And he's reading these stories. And we're, I'm rushing to get the questions ready before we go on stage Saturday night in Englewood. And he's so into reading these humorous philosophical things to me. He said, stop what you're doing. I don't care if we have to delay the show. You need to listen to this. So that's how into just performing for me he was back there and being into the conversation. I wish, see, I I didn't want to write down all the things that he was saying because there were so many gems, but I didn't want to take him out of the the moment. But uh, I wish I could have written down more of the book titles that he showed me that he was reading on his Kindle and everything else. I have never met a sharper person, and I've never met a person that's more genuinely curious in my life, honestly, honestly. So we do the show <clears throat> in Englewood. Uh, I have no no autograph, no uh, just the one the one picture that we took, plus the picture behind the plexiglass. They, they they asked us both nights what we wanted to order. We gave them our meals in advance from nearby restaurants, and uh, they Ethan, the fellow that was running the tour, he says, "Oh, we got two of yours if you want to put one up upstairs." And uh, I put it in the refrigerator in my dressing room. Of course, I forgot it. I would have loved to have eaten it yesterday. So then we're doing the show. And Shatner sneezes twice. Twice. And he started joking around. Oh, people are going to say they paid all this money and this is only to see William Shatner sneeze. I said, well, hey, don't joke. I know you sold a kidney stone for $75,000. Uh, we could sell that tissue for 5000 And he jokes around. He holds up. He says, what am I bid? You know. Uh, but, oh, the first night we really couldn't hear one another on stage. So he kept asking me to repeat my questions. And even Rachel asked me, does he have a hard time hearing, which he doesn't. Um, but I couldn't hear him well either. The acoustics at the Count Basie Theater were very tough. Saturday, we had a much easier time hearing one another. So there was a little bit more interaction. Then... A little bit later in the presentation, which goes about an hour and a half or so, I kind of kind of jokingly say when, you know, I talk about how I've admired him my whole life, really. I said, you know, I'm going to grab that tissue. And he's joking around and uh, he says, oh, you snotty boy, you. That would make you a very snotty boy. And um, the rest of the evening unfolds. I think it goes very well. He finishes his story, talks about going to space. Thunderous applause. I say, ladies and gentlemen, William Shatner. We walk off stage together. But as we walk off stage, I grab the tissue. Grab the tissue. Stick it in my pocket. And so now I have, and this is not a joke. This is absolutely true. I have a tissue, facial tissue, that William Shatner sneezed and blew his nose into. So I don't know. When the technology develops to be able to clone people, I'm in a very good position. That's true. So thanks to everybody that came out. I met a lot of listeners, and uh, everybody said they had a good time. 
And uh, it was really a, a great treat. My friend Frankie Fontaino came out there. My friend Tom Brodo, we had a drink afterwards. Keith Jensen, another one of our great listeners, brought me a bottle of port. So I was running around Englewood with a bottle of port. So that was, uh, that was kind of fun. And uh, it was really a, a real treat. And, um, you know, somebody asked me yesterday, do you think you guys are going to keep in touch? And I said, you know, there's a lot of movies like this with celebrities, whether it's M- Marilyn Monroe or Orson Welles, that have chance encounters with people for a day or two. I said, I, th- I think we could talk all the time now, or I think we could never speak again. And neither of those scenarios would, uh, would shock me. Obviously, you know which one I'm hoping for. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, if you went and you have uh, a comment about how the show went, you're welcome to call in as well. You have comments about the balloons, we'll get to you as well. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Baby, I love your way. This is a birthday bumper music selection from Mary Riley. Mary Riley is a good friend of mine for over 23 years, I'll say. Uh, She's a friend of Curtis's as well, Curtis Lewa, and a friend of John Katzenmatidis as well. She's been a big booster of all of us and has always helped us out, been a big supporter of me. Uh, on the show, uh, politically, and she's been a supporter of John Katzmatidis as well. She's done a lot. Uh, she's a very successful businesswoman. She was also the chairperson of the county Republican Party. Great lady. She was a delegate to the 2016 uh, Republican Convention and um, oh, a good friend and a big listener. So happy birthday, Mary Riley. This is one of her selections. All right, straight to the phones we go, 800-848-9222. Lisa's in Manhattan. Hello, Lisa. Yeah, you know, Frank, this is a very big accomplishment for you. You should be very proud. I met Bill Shatner many times. My cousin was a second producer on T.J. Hooker, and I met the whole cast many times when I was in L.A., Locklear, James Darren, the other guys. (laughs) What a lovely man. And it's funny, he said, when he met me, he said, Bill Bill Shatner, they're here. (laughs) Very funny. Yeah, what lovely, lovely man. Thank you, Lisa. I appreciate that. Uh, appreciate you calling. Um, 800-848-9222. Uh, those of you that are holding, we'll get to you, whether you're talking Shatner, balloons, or anything else. Super Bowl, next hour, the big game, whatever you want to call it. Until next hour, in the words of the great Bob Barker, help control the pet population, get your dog or cat spayed or neutered.
This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Well, congratulations to the Kansas City Chiefs. They won the big game. Now, why do we on radio or television call it the big game? Well, it's very interesting. A lot of people, um, unless unless you already knew it, the name of the big game gets harder and harder to learn Every year, unless you're watching the channel that airs it. This year, it was aired on Fox. So on Fox, they were they were saying, Super Bowl, Super Bowl, Super Bowl. Weirdly, some folks on TV, some folks on radio, have no problem saying Super Bowl, while others act like they do. Others, sometimes Mediaite even said that some people on TV or radio Act like if you say that word, Roger Goodell will materialize and slaughter them in their dreams. Some people have even made the comparison that it's a bit like the N-word. Not in terms of people being offended, except that there's confusion over when you can and can't say it. And it's genuine. There's even a poorly coded alternative And that's where the big game comes in. So when you hear people on radio or on television use the term the big game, that's what they mean, Super Bowl. It's so silly. But every season, for example, the Food Network, they have all these shows that devote entire episodes to Super Bowl foods. Yet they completely avoid saying the name of what I just mentioned by using the term the big game. You could argue that this makes some kind of sense when you're telling people that your uh, Super Bowl nachos recipe is the best because the NFL could argue this implies a relationship. You could say that your green pea guacamole could injure their brand, right? What possible reason, though, could there be to say big game in all these other contexts? I mean, it's just so silly. A few years ago, when uh, Chris Matthews was still on MSNBC, he went to Phoenix the Friday before the Super Bowl. That's where the Super Bowl was that year. And promoted the special show that he was doing by telling viewers he was going to see the teams get ready for the big game. And all the rest of us that were watching it, we were all getting ready for the Super Bowl. So you can understand why. I mean, this to me is just people getting a little too carried away. But the NFL has made people fearful of this. So I can understand why they couldn't use the Super Bowl logo or say they were doing a Super Bowl Friday edition of uh, the Food Network or of uh, Hardball with Chris Matthews because the NFL had sold the broadcasting rights to that game to a certain station. And, you know, I get it. Fine. The prevailing line on all of this ridiculousness is that the NFL are such big jerks about their trademarks 
that people have to be careful, and there's some evidence to back that up. Certainly the NFL can't have its image with women tarnished by, say, an unsanctioned Jenna Jameson Super Bowl party. But they, but did they really have to send a cease and desist letter to an Indiana church group that wanted to charge admission to a 2000 Super Bowl party? Actually, yes, they do. They did. They did that. Apparently, if the NFL becomes aware of an infringement on their trademark and fails to act on it, they could lose the trademark altogether. So that's why if they hear people, if we, if we say, which we're not saying, but if we were to say this is a special Super Bowl edition of The Other Side of Midnight, they have to send us a, a cease and desist letter if they hear about it. Otherwise, they could lose their trademark. But what they didn't have to do was what they did. And they tried years ago, they actually tried to trademark the term the big game to prevent companies or radio stations, TV stations, whatever, from intimating a relationship with the NFL's big day. This, I mean, they were not successful in that, thankfully. But at a certain point, the NFL might want to consider the value in having everyone on earth, every radio station, every TV station, advertising their game for free and abetting their goal here to make it one of the most important events in the world while also considering the negative consequences of having people think that you're insane, which it certainly seems. As it turns out, it isn't even illegal to use the term Super Bowl in a commercial under the legal doctrine of nominative fair use, which allows the use of someone else's trademark for purposes of reporting, commentary, criticism, and parody, as well as for comparative advertising. That's what I'm doing. Commentary. So we're okay to use the term Super Bowl. The problem is that the NFL has been so aggressive about enforcing its trademark that they've scared everybody into self-censorship. So back in the day when uh, Stephen Colbert was being uh, like a fake pundit, remember when he did the Colbert report after Jon Stewart? He even built a week of programming around the premise which he dubbed Superb Owl. You get it? It's spelled like Super Bowl, but it's just got the spacing different. It's kind of funny. The NFL shows no signs of letting up on its defense of the big game's trademark anytime soon. So if you're going on TV and you're tempted to say Super Bowl, maybe think again. All right. Uh, 800-848-9222. So I watched the game. I did take a nap during a little bit of the fourth quarter because I had, I didn't get any sleep on Sunday morning. Saturday night into Sunday morning, I had maybe four hours of sleep. So I wanted to, yeah, four hours. I wanted to at least get a little bit of sleep so that I was somewhat coherent for these four hours. But you know what I realized? I, I, I do always try to get sleep so that I'm well-rested and quick-witted, ideally. But when I get behind this microphone, there's just such an energy I feel so energized that I, I feel like even if I didn't get any sleep, that I would still be able to bring my A game. But uh, given the fact that um, my son has been sneezing, coughing, and mucusing on me for four or five straight days, some sleep will help me ideally not get his uh, not get his cold. So I watched uh, most of the game, uh, I, except for the brief part that I took a nap. I did do some work during it. I thought it was really a great game from a sporting perspective, 
we've seen so many Super Bowl blowouts. Remember the year the Bengals played the Chiefs? That wasn't necessarily uh, – no, no, Bengals played the um, the uh, Rams. That was not necessarily the best game. The uh, Buccaneers-Chiefs game a couple of years ago, eh, it was not necessarily the best game. This was a really fun game. Uh, both teams were evenly matched, I thought, by and large. There was a lot of drama with that Mahomes injury, with that uh, call later in the game, too. So I think um, – I, congratulations to the Chiefs. I was I was rooting for the Chiefs, but it was uh, very exciting. I hope um, if you were in pools or whatever, I hope you won some money. I was in two pools. One pool was a score change pool for a hundred bucks, and the way that one was, and I explained this the other day. Every time the score changes, you get paid. So let's say like the first person to get paid, it's a hundred bucks for for a box, and it pays three hundred bucks every time the score changes. So the game starts, it's 0-0. So whoever's got those numbers, 0-0, gets paid, 300 bucks. Then let's say a team kicks a field goal. Then it's um, uh, 3 nothing. Whoever's got 3-0, it doesn't matter what quarter or whatever. Whoever's got 3-0, that person gets paid 300 bucks. Then uh, let's say it's uh, a t- somebody scores a, t- a touchdown and it's 6-3. Then that person gets paid but then they kick the extra point. Then it's 7-3. Then that person gets paid. So it's really fun. And I had great numbers. I had Eagles 7 and um, and Chiefs 6. I think it looks 7-6 in a score change pool. There's going to be at least there's going to be at least one moment in the game where I get my money back. And get plus two hundred bucks. I bought one box for a hundred bucks. Uh, there's definitely going to be a moment where the game is seven, or where is six seven. Definitely, it doesn't have to even end the quarter. I just need it once, just for a few minutes. And of course, <clears throat> best numbers that you could ever hope for. If I got to pick my numbers, these would have been the numbers that I picked. And sure enough, <laughs> it was never that score. So I never, I didn't win in that pool. I'll tell you what I did luck out with. I was in another pool um, for, it was $50 a box, and I bought three boxes. So that was $150 there plus the $100 that I had in this other pool. So I was all in. All my box investments were two hundred were yeah $250. So in the other pool that I was in, I won the first quarter uh, because I had 7-7. Seven, seven, and I won five hundred bucks for that uh, that uh, that pool. So I'm ahead two hundred and fifty dollars for the Super Bowl, which is money that I could certainly use. Believe me. So that was uh, that was fun. Hopefully, you won some money too. Um, I thought, you know, it's so funny. Most sporting events, you view the commercials as an opportunity to get up and get something to drink, to make yourself a sandwich. For some reason, the Super Bowl, it, it for years has become an event where the commercials are almost as much a part of the show as the uh, as the game itself is, if not more so. So I thought there were some clever commercials. I enjoyed that. Um, I enjoyed the, uh, obviously I'm a uh, wrestling fan, so I enjoyed that Undertaker commercial. Uh, I enjoyed the, the commercial where Alicia Silverstone recreated her character from Clueless, from 30 years ago, I would have liked to have seen Stacey Dash in that uh, commercial as well, but she, I guess, is too controversial. 
Uh, I enjoyed the – a lot of people like the Netflix – oh, that was an interesting trend this year. I don't know if you noticed this. Rather than there be a commercial for Pepsi or Doritos, you had these different brands partnering for a commercial. So the commercial that everybody was talking about with Will Ferrell, which I thought was fun and it was clever and it was funny, that was a commercial for both Netflix and GM. Apparently, uh, they're doing this thing where Netflix is going to include more electric vehicles in its programming. So in case the tax incentives and the constant harping of the need for you to get an electric vehicle aren't enough, they're going to subliminally make sure that you see this electric vehicle message reinforced all the time. So uh, that, that was a joint commercial from Netflix and GM, and there were about, I think about five or six commercials that were two different brands together. Um. Curious what you thought of the game. Curious what you thought of uh, the of any aspect of the show. A lot of people were upset with them playing the so-called black national anthem. I, you know what? I don't have a problem with them singing that song as long. I, I like God Bless America. So I was sorry they didn't see God Bless. They didn't sing God Bless America. They did sing America the Beautiful, but so, which I guess is sort of the same concept. And then of course they did the Star Spangled Banner. But um, a lot of people didn't like that. I didn't have a problem with it except for this. Right, the thing that I didn't like about it, and if it gets people to stop kneeling, then then that's great. Let them sing. The, here's the thing that I didn't like about it. I'm curious as to your take. By saying that there's a black national anthem, even if it's the unofficial black national anthem, it kind of implies that black people aren't covered by the same national anthem that all Americans have. So it almost, I find it a little bit divisive. But like I said, if it gets people, players, to not kneel in protest during the standard national anthem, anthem then then so be it so um 800-848-9222 a good game uh we i didn't really go to any parties or anything i was invited to a couple of parties but uh i felt like uh it would be very difficult for me to be able to get any work done if i was at a party i can't really go to someone's house for a super bowl party and read the papers make notes and go through my, my 900 emails that i'm getting every day so uh, I, I stayed home, and then uh, my mom came by with her significant other, and then uh, my friend Vinny came by for the first half of the game. So it was, uh, it was interesting. You know, it was interesting. We were talking with Marlena Shivo and David Schwartz on Friday, and I think it was Marlena, maybe it was David, I don't remember who, that brought up the idea of Super Bowl Saturday. Now, my idea, I think, is very sound which is why not have it always be the Sunday before President's Day when a lot of people are off? I think that's a great idea. Uh, Although tomorrow, some people are celebrating Lincoln's birthday and are getting off for Lincoln's birthday. By the way, do you know that there are a lot of cities and states that celebrate both Lincoln's birthday and President's Day as holidays? Just pick one. Pick one. If we're doing President's Day... That have Lincoln be covered by president. Okay. And, and I, I, it's nothing against Lincoln. We'll talk more about Lincoln later. It's more of a fact that these holidays all cost money. Like my, my friend, 
works for the court system. And she's off today for Lincoln's birthday. And all the court officers, forget about it. You could bet they were partying hardy uh, last night because they didn't have to get up for the game. They're probably getting drunk, staying out late, smoking cigars. But the Super Bowl, or the big game, is America's biggest collective party. Yet, the NFL makes us conduct this ritual at the most inconvenient time imaginable. A school night. So uh, you had a record 18.8 million workers who are predicted to no-show at work today. Some schools in Philadelphia um, are delaying classes today. So if you go to, there's a a petition on change.org, which is a petition that you can, which is a website that you can create petitions. They're trying to change Super Bowl 58 to Saturday. And that campaign, the petition to change Super Bowl 58 to Saturday, has already around 145,000 signatures. That's around 5,000 away from becoming one of the top signed campaigns on the platform. Lawmakers in Tennessee have introduced a big shout-out to our listeners on WUCT. Hello, guys. Lawmakers in Tennessee have introduced a bill to make the Monday after the game an official state holiday. Well, look, if you went with my idea of just always making it the Sunday before President's Day, none of this would be necessary. A simple um, why is the Super Bowl? You know how you can, in Google, although now everybody's moving back to Bing, because they're of what they're doing with AI. But in Google, you can uh, just type, um, like say you type, is Frank Morano? It brings you what people are searching for, right? So it says, if you just type, is Frank Morano, without clicking enter, it says, where is Frank Morano going? Who is Frank Morano? Where is Frank Morano now? Who is Frank Morano's wife? That's what comes up if you type who is Frank Morano. I, I lo- oh, just is Frank Morano. If you type the words is Curtis Lewa, it says, and without hitting enter, is Curtis Lewa Italian? Is Curtis Lewa still on the radio? Is Curtis Lewa married? Is Curtis Lewa running for mayor? Is Curtis Lewa still running for mayor? Is Curtis Lewa a trumper? Is Curtis Lewa a black belt? Is Curtis Lewa winning? Is Curtis Lee conservative? You get it, right? So I love doing that because it gives you a pretty good idea of what people are searching. So if you type, why is the Super Bowl in Google, it autofills to to say, to finish on Sunday. So a lot of people are searching that. So the audiences on Sunday night are much larger, according to Roger Goodell. He's the NFL commissioner whose father was who? Do you know who his father was? Anybody? Anyone? Anyone, as Ben Stein would say? Nobody? Okay. His father was Charles Goodell, who was the former U.S. senator from New York, from former U.S. senator and congressman from New York, who was defeated by, anybody? Jim Buckley in 1970, um, <clears throat> who won as a third-party candidate, no less. So it's very, very impressive. So, um. The audiences on Sunday night, according to the son of New York's former senator, are much larger. 
They say fans want to have the best opportunity to be able to see the game, and we want to give that to them. So they say Sunday night is a better night for that. I love my suggestion of doing it on President's Day Eve because this way you keep the Sunday tradition and you don't have the pressure of having people work. Curious what you uh, what you think about that. 800-848-9222. Um, we watched the halftime show with Rihanna, who I understand is with child. Is that accurate? Rihanna's with child. So congratulations to her. I thought it was okay. You know, I'm not the, I like some of Rihanna's songs. I wasn't really wowed. Um, you, you know what I was struck by? I don't spend a lot of time in gentlemen's clubs, but listening to all of Rihanna's songs makes you, it makes you feel like you're in a strip club. It really does. Every one of her songs makes you feel like you're in a strip club. So, um, uh, you know, my wife thought she did well, though. I, I guess I agree. I wasn't wowed, you know, but uh, I certainly didn't think she did anything. Uh, there were no major bloopers, nothing to ridicule. You know, one of the things that was interesting, the first song that she sang, it's a song that says, and I, I don't, you know, like to use even salty language, so I'm reluctant to say it. I'm only going to say it once. But it's a song where the chorus goes... Bitch better have my money, right? Now, they changed the words and didn't have her say the B word. So my question is, Rihanna's got a lot of songs, a lot of great songs. Why would you pick that as a song to sing if you're going to omit a key portion of the chorus? And I agree, there's families watching the Super Bowl. You don't want to use words like the B word on national television like that. But why why include that song at all? She's got so many great songs. Why include that one? I didn't understand that. And, you know, it's funny. Um, Rihanna's music, a lot of it has to do with violence towards women. A lot of it has to do with using the N-word. A lot of it has to do with sadomasochism. And, look, I, I'm not you know, a prude. I think people should be able to have whatever kind of music they want. But the National Football League in recent years has gotten so in bed with the uh, Black Lives Matter movement. It's gotten, um, you know, they try to portray themselves as being so down with women's rights issues. Uh, Phil Mushnick, who I know is a little bit of a, a curmudgeon, but I thought he raised a good point in his column on Sunday in the New York Post. He made the point where it's a little hypocritical of the National Football League to be saying, yeah, we're for Black Lives Matter and we're for women's rights and we're for this and we're for that. And yet the person that they chose, and look, Rihanna's a great performer. I know a lot, she hadn't performed in seven years and a lot of people were excited to see her perform again. But um, it's a little hypocritical for this group to then choose an artist who, whose songs are best known for sadomasochism and the N-word. So I thought that was interesting as well. All right, 800-848-9222. This was the first foot uh, this was the first Super Bowl where you had two black quarterbacks starting the game against one another. Obviously I was as a Met fan, I was rooting for Pat Mahomes, the son of former New York Mets pitcher Pat Mahomes. It was also the first Super Bowl where you had two brothers on opposing teams. 
so the the Kelsey brothers, Travis and Jason. And then, <clears throat> as if it wasn't enough in terms of firsts, that was the first Super Bowl where that you know where they have the military jets fly over at the beginning, where it was all female fighter pilots making that flyover. So. Uh, I thought it was uh, the, the fundamental thing was uh, it was a great game. Really, as a sports fan, it was a lot of fun to watch. And from my perspective, the next most important thing is I'm up two hundred fifty dollars. Uh, Kenneth, you watched the game, I imagine, right? So I actually came in to do the earlier shift, so I had to work Piscopo show. Oh, really? So I was on and off. Yeah, I've been here since six. Oh, did you have the game on here? Yeah, I had it on. On the computer here, but it was like, again, on and off watching it. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, well, what were your impressions based on what you did see? I mean, overall, it was very good. It was like a you know classic shootout Super Bowl, the comeback yeah. in the second no, half. No, that was neat. I thought it was fun. It and was the, really good. And um, obviously, it wasn't scripted this way, but the added drama of Mahomes getting hurt and limping off the field. Right. It really did add uh, to the to the drama the fact that he that he made such a you know such a comeback. Uh, so those those are my initial thoughts. I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of the other commercials that got some attention, the Sylvester Stallone commercial. I think that aired while I was sleeping, so I just saw them play a clip of it now on television. But I haven't seen that one yet. The uh, the Jesus commercials got a lot of attention. People wondering why Jesus needs to advertise. But we've we've discussed the whole Jesus advertising movement before. And you know what I thought was really interesting? Speaking of the New York Mets, there was a Mets commercial. Now, think about that. Steve Cohen, the billionaire owner of the Mets, he plunked down probably minimum two and a half to five million dollars, somewhere in that range, depending on what he was able to negotiate and when he bought, for a national Mets commercial. And it was a clever commercial, but he didn't just air it in New York. It aired in the whole country. I mean, you talk about it. That would be the equivalent of, you know, WCBM or WABC or WUCT uh, or the Nevada Talk Network buying an ad all over the country. It's like when uh, Montgomery Brewster ran for mayor, he didn't just buy ads in New York. He bought ads all over the country in case any New Yorkers were out of town. Yeah, and for Cohen, that's like basically taking out his wallet and buying like a bacon, egg, and cheese. You know, it's everybody everybody always says that, right? People make similar remarks about John Katzmatidis as well. $5 million is always a lot of money. I don't care if you have Bill Gates-style money, uh, Steve Cohen money, John Katzmatidis money. $5 million, Mike Bloomberg money, $5 million is a lot of money. So and it's just I've never seen that before. Had to have a local baseball team buy a national ad in the Super Bowl. I thought that was really interesting. All right, eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Those of you that are holding whatever the subject, we'll get to you. No guests today, so there's going to be plenty of opportunity for us to uh, to chat about whatever's on your mind. Two open lines now, if you want to comment. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. This is the other side of midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
This is Rihanna, who was featured in the Super Bowl halftime show yesterday. I won 500 bucks, well, 250 net, right? So uh, I'm pretty happy. You know what I'm spending at least a portion of that on? Pretty large portion, actually. Lapel pins. Lapel pins. I am a lapel pin enthusiast, and I have also created my own lapel pin code, which is if someone compliments my lapel pin, I give it to them. And, uh, for instance, you know, if you ever see the president of our network, Chad Lopez, the guy's always in a suit, the guy's always dressed to the nines, and he will always have a great lapel pin of some sort because he gets them all from me. So he says, hey, that's a great American flag lapel pin. Where did you get that? Here you go, Chad. Now he kind of knows the score right at this point. So um, I, uh, I was wearing... Um, my, so I have a Star Trek lapel pin, but it broke as I was trying to put it on the other day. So I wore on Saturday and Sunday a microphone lapel pin. It's kind of cool being a radio broadcaster. You wear a microphone lapel pin, and I don't. I don't always. I don't always. I only have a one WABC lapel pin, which I really like. So I don't want to give it away if people compliment it. So I always usually keep that one as a backup, but. I um wearing the microphone lapel pin. By the way, if the good folks at WCBM or WCT or the Nevada Talk Radio Network or any of our other stations, KYBR, anybody is listening right now and they have lapel pins for their local station, that would not be a bad uh, gift for the Frankster, right? Uh, but um, but anyway, so I wore this microphone lapel pin to the Shatner show Friday and Saturday, and it's kind of cool. So, uh, and I've given a couple away already to other radio broadcasters mostly who say, oh, I love that pin, and I give it to them. So I'm wearing it backstage, and I had gone and got my father and stepmother, who drove 11 hours up from Florida to be there Saturday for this Star Trek II screening. They, they said they were going to see me, not necessarily to see Shatner, which was very nice. So my father's standing next to me, and Brandy, who was my point of contact with Mills Entertainment, who's kind of running things, along with uh, Ethan from Mills Entertainment. He, she's backstage with me, and she compliments my microphone lapel pin. So I take it off, and I give it to her. She said, are you sure? But I could tell she really wanted it. And she, she takes it. And my father watches this whole exchange. Now, my father is deadpan. He has a deadpan sense of humor. So... He is um, watching this whole thing go down. And he says to me, as I'm handing this lapel pin to this woman, Brandy, who I've met, for, who I've known for less than 24 hours, he says, isn't that the pin that I gave you for Christmas as a gift? <laughs> so, uh, you know, but he said it not with la- laughing or anything. He said it totally deadpan. And, uh, and he, he fooled her for a second, but I had to assure her that was just his unique sense of humor. All right. I have ranted enough. Uh, we got dinner, we got commendations coming up in about twenty minutes. So let me give you an opportunity to be heard. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Chris in the Catskills has been holding a while. Hello, Chris. Hey, good morning, Frank. In terms of these uh, four objects that were shot down, only one of them has been confirmed to be of this planet. The other three are questionable. Uh, I sent you some content. There's a, you probably heard of it. There's a very famous incident, 1976, two Iranian F-4 fighter jets 
encountered a UFO. One of them, it tried to engage their weapon systems, and it was blocked from the aircraft. When I started hearing about these more recent incidents, some of the pilots reported that their equipment was malfunctioning and wasn't working properly. Mm. And then there's uh, contradictory stories among these different pilots as to exactly what they saw. So when I hear these things, logically, I'm thinking that it sounds like some of these four objects out of the last three are perhaps either not of this planet or perhaps they're experimental military espionage type of uh, aircraft that are Chinese or Russian in origin. That's that's my thoughts on the incident. So these three, uh, putting aside that ch- you'll agree the first balloon was a Chinese spy balloon. Absolutely. Okay, so um, putting aside that one, the subsequent three, what we shot down over Michigan, what was shot down over Canada, and what was shot down over over Alaska, which of those do you think is more likely? Do you think it is experimental military aircraft of some sort, or do you think it's something that's otherworldly? Well, I mean, you would probably need to have a military expert on that's willing to divulge stuff that they're probably not allowed to. They'd have to be retired for a while or willing to take the consequences but or, or, or you know, hide their identities because – the question, the answer to that question would be whether or not that technology is available to, you know, any military powers on this planet. I mean, but what's suspicious to me is the fact that these objects, for whatever reason, if it's radiation they're giving off, or perhaps they have instrumentation that that does that, that interferes with the operation of these uh, of the planes. Uh, you know, it's going to be one or the other, but I would be highly suspicious from the description of the craft that if it's, so if it's just one of these espionage type balloons, I would be suspicious that it's going to be equipped with equipment that's capable of that if it's of this world. Well, that is very interesting, uh, Chris. Look, you, you raise a very good point and I have, uh, I can't disagree with you. Look, I, part of the reason I can't disagree is because we have so little information about this, which I think underscores the possibility of what you're saying. Chris, thank you for the call. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Mark is in Baltimore. Hello, Mark. Oh, hi, how are you? Thank you for taking my call. I am a lapel pin enthusiast oh, also. Nice. Very, very serious lapel pin enthusiast. In fact, I actually have conversations about lapel pins. And so since I am listening on WCBM and I'm closely connected to WCBM, there is a possibility I may indeed be able to get you a WCBM Ooh, lapel pin. Well, I might be able to – maybe we can make that worth your while. Mark, if you could get me one of those lapel pins – I will send you, at my own expense, a Frank Morano Other Side of Midnight pen. A pen, a nice gel pen with a stylus. You send me a lapel pin, I will send you a gel pen. But that's a deal. As a matter of fact, as soon as I get that lapel pin in my possession, I will recontact the station and, and, and you'll tell me where to send it. Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, well, uh, um, you have my email, Mark? 
Uh, well, you, you don't I, email. Uh, you you could say that again. I may have taken it down, okay. but you I'm could gonna, certainly. I'm going to put it. you on hold, and uh, Kenneth will give it to you. It's uh, Frank Morano at wabcradio.com. But you know, so I don't have to repeat it five times. Kenneth will give it to you. Hey, I just want to mention this. A, maybe I was going to save this for tomorrow, but it's just this is one of the stories you're going to hear about all day today. In addition to the Super Bowl and William Shatner and the all the UFOs that were shooting down. A New Jersey restaurant in Tinton Falls is banning children under the age of 10. And they're getting a lot of criticism and they're getting a lot of support. The restaurant is called Nettie's House. Nettie's House of Spaghetti. Excuse me. Nettie's House of Spaghetti. They announced on Thursday on their social media platforms that they will no longer allow children under 10 to dine in the restaurant beginning next month. Their decision, they said, was made because it's been extremely challenging to accommodate children. This is the quote from the restaurant itself. We love kids. We really do. We really, truly do. Between noise levels, lack of space for high chairs, cleaning up crazy messes, and the liability of kids running around the restaurant... We have decided that it's time to take control of the situation. The new policy will begin March 8th. We know that this is going to make some of you very upset, especially those of you with very well-behaved kids. But we believe this is the right decision for our business moving forward. Thank you for understanding. So some people say, I love this decision. Um, Other people say, can't help feeling that this will uh, backfire. I'd like to know what you think, because I have seen it both ways, right? When I was nine years old, I was a very well-behaved child. Uh, My parents would take me to restaurants all the time. I I would never act up. I would never be loud. I went to some nice restaurants. In fact, when I was less than 10, my mother took me to France. We dined at the Jules Verne restaurant at the top of the Eiffel Tower. So... If that was, uh, so my mother, think about that. She would have been able to bring me to the Jules Verne restaurant on the top of the Eiffel Tower. But she wouldn't be able to bring me to Nettie's House of Spaghetti in Tinton Falls, New Jersey. I mean, it's just so silly. So, I, I mean, I think the better policy would be that maybe no children under five. But, you know, what? here's the problem. And this is why people who have no self-awareness. They ruin it for everybody, right? So if you have a child, first of all, why are you bringing a three-year-old who can't control themselves to a restaurant that's supposed to be, and it's supposed to be a very she-she, nice restaurant? I would bring my son and have brought him to a diner, right? But you wouldn't bring him to, you know, a place where people are having a nice, quiet meal because you're going to throw things. But why are these parents bringing their unruly children to these restaurants? Those parents ruin it for people like my parents who raise children who by the age of eight, nine, know how to behave at a restaurant without disturbing anybody. So my, I think it's a, an un, I understand the rationale for the policy. But I think it is an unreasonably restrictive policy. What do you think?
This could be the start of a new trend. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Pamela is in New Jersey. Hello, Pamela. Uh, good evening or morning, whatever. Sure. Yeah. Um, uh, I didn't watch it, but from your description of uh, the like the usual products that usually do that uh, advertising, I think they're afraid of boycotts, so they stayed away. And, of course, the two companies you mentioned, and I'm not giving them free advertising, um, uh, are wealthy enough to cover all the expenses of the sponsorship. But I know for a fact, I've asked uh, people who deliver products, you know, like around the, that situation, and they, the companies are afraid because there are many of us who have not bought products because we're not very happy with, um, you know, the unpatriotic way this uh, situation evolves. <laughs> so um, uh, give me an example, Pamela. Like, what, what, give me a type of product, if you don't want to mention a, an advertiser, that you, it risks being boycotted for running a Super Bowl ad. Well, I know a certain soda, I know from the workers, because I've asked, and um, the company was scared bleepless when, uh, during the last uh, game and uh, products dropped and they are scared to death. But but what would precipitate the boycott? I'm not sure I understand. Well, why the, uh, that certain uh, group of people who are involved in that game, uh, the way they behave uh, as far as our, our, our uh, country. Oh, I and, see. Uh, they you... get all this money and um, and you know what? It's our right not to you know, not to uh, watch, not to purchase, and it's the only power we have. And I know, I know we're outnumbered. I know people cannot resist the gambling and the watching and everything. But you know, if you've had people who've served and everything, and and uh, realize what stakes there are, I can give up a a uh, athletic game. Yeah. Uh, so you didn't watch the game then. Absolutely not. Gotcha. Okay. Nope. All right, and as far as that restaurant with the uh, the children thing, uh, it's a private company, private restaurant. Oh yeah, can, yeah. No, they can they do can what do they it. want. I, I right, just right. I'm wondering if it if it was uh, if they should have done this, right? I mean, uh, but yeah, they, of course they right. can do what they want. Absolutely. I mean, spaghetti spaghetti is kind of a bad uh, situation because kids love spaghetti, and you're going to get a lot of business <laughs> from kids with spaghetti. Right. Right. That's that's so, what I that's what I want. Pamela, thank you. I appreciate that. 800-848-9222. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I'm not suggesting there be uh, any sort of government intervention or any reports to the Better Business Bureau. You know, if you don't want to go there, don't go there. I mean, you know the rules going in. They're advertising this very loudly. But, um, you know, I just I think it's a shame because at nine years old, at eight years old, probably even seven I would go to restaurants all the time, nice restaurants, you know. And uh, my mom, you know, my parents were divorced when I was uh, four or five. So a lot of times my mom and I would go, just the two of us. It was really nice, you know, to be able to go to a lot of nice restaurants. And uh, she really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. And now if one of the restaurants that she wanted to take me to was Nellie's House of Spaghetti at eight years old, she wouldn't be able to take me. And uh, I think it's I think it's kind of a shame. I understand the rationale, but I think it's a shame. Eight hundred eight. I'm all for it. Are you? Yeah. You know why? Why? Because the kids don't care. 
that they're going to what rest, whatever restaurant they're going to. It's the parents. So the, now it's going to force parents to discipline their children to behave when they go to restaurants. Well, but n- they can't go to Nettie's net, right. house. And then, and then maybe next week it'll be another restaurant. And next week it'll be another restaurant. So now it's forcing these parents to discipline their children because the kids don't care. Right. But what about parents that have well-behaved children? They're, they're not able to go now. They're out of luck. Because other parents don't know how to discipline their but children. Think of it's going to force them. Think of what you're saying, right? So what you're saying and what Nettie's is saying is yeah. that because, let's say, 20%, let's say it's 30%. It's probably higher than that. What, what percentage do you think I, of parents has unruly fi- children? 50%, at least. Fif- at least. 50%? If you take your son who's not a year old, right? He's a little over a year old. You take him to a restaurant. He's going to be screaming. Loud, do you, do you, if you don't have kids and you go to a nice dinner, do you want that? No, that's okay. why I'm not taking them to those restaurants. Right, you're not. But, but there's parents that don't understand that and don't care. But t- two things. One, I think 10 is too restrictive a cutoff because when you're nine years old, you, you can behave, right? And two, let's say it is 50%. Why should every parent be penalized because... Half of the parents don't know how to take care of their children. Because now all of these parents that don't have that children that don't know how to behave or they don't know how to discipline their children, they all have to go to the same restaurant. So now <laughs> you'll have all these kids running around like nuts, crazy, and then they'll get the picture. There you go. You'll see them all at the Rainforest Cafe. Right, exactly. All right. Uh, those of you that are holding, whether you want to talk um, aliens, Shatner, balloons, restaurants, Super Bowl, you name it. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Commendations in just a moment. Well, about five minutes. 800-848-9222. We'll get to as many of your calls as we can. In the meantime, uh, let me say hi to Joe in Ronkonkoma. Hello, Joe. Hey, Frank. I saw a little couple things on Facebook. With the, uh, William Shatner thing. You look good on stage. Thank you. And listen, I want to touch on two things really quick. I'm not going to be one of the people who's going to drag it on. I agree with that woman that called just before. Uh, our country is turning into just like that unruly child at the restaurant. And what do people do? They pacify the situation and they just give them what they want to shut them up. But people like myself that love our country, my father fought in Vietnam 
And I was kind of shocked they played the Johnny Cash thing at the beginning because I was crying. Yeah, that was beautiful, uh, the, the uh, ragged old flag. I, I love that. I, I was crying. And my, my kids were even – I said, I didn't even know what was going on right after that. The thing that bothered me the most, you can play whatever national anthem that you want to do. I just want to know why the national anthem wasn't played first. That upset me the most. Well, you know, I hear that, Joe, but usually what they do is the national anthem is the last thing that plays before the game. Even in previous Super Bowls, when they would sing America the Beautiful or God Bless America, they would sing that uh, prior to the national anthem. But you think, I almost think if they had the black national anthem as the last thing you hear before the game, I I think that almost puts it on a a bigger platform. But I I hear what you're saying. Uh, You know, I guess, look. I think it's just a shame uh, that uh, – I, I think it's just a shame that you don't have one national anthem for all the Americans. But um, if it keeps people from protesting, right, if that's the if that's the thing uh, – look, it, it is a song that's very meaningful to a lot of people. But uh, I just don't like the separate – oh, the white national anthem, black national anthem, no. It should be the national anthem. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Mike is in Connecticut. Hello, Mike. Frank, leave Blaze alone. He's on spot with the restaurant situation. I, I will. I will leave him alone. He's there. Uh, parallel to that is uh, many flights to Orlando. When they, uh, there's about twenty infants on a flight. I'm like, where are you guys going? Oh, we're going to Disney. Oh, my kids eight months old. Eight months old. Oh, you're visiting parents? Just, you know, perusing. Oh, no, we're going to bring our eight-month-old to Disney. <laughs> and meanwhile, throughout the flight, the two-hour flight from Hartford, just um, you can tell what happens when their ears pop. But the main reason for my call was, as a Mets fan, uh, Cohen, $5 million for a commercial, uh, tax write-off, why not donate that money to charity? Hey, well, I think, look, uh, thank you, Mike. I I don't know uh, what Steve Cohen's charitable situation is. For all I know, he may donate a lot more than $5 million, right? I mean, he is running a business, right? So he does want a lot of people to go to the Met games and watch the Mets, right? So I don't begrudge him. It's just interesting and unusual. Keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Everybody, this is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Moreno, and we are moments away from commendations. And if things had worked out a little bit differently, you might be hearing conversation uh, commendations right now. But you know why you're not? You know what really grinds my gears? So when I come in here, Curtis Lewa, who's on WABC in New York, a national figure as well, Guardian Angels founder, a close friend. Somebody that I've known and worked with for 20 years. 
more. <laughs> the area, the studio that I prep in, and I don't need a lot of space. You know, I need like a chair. If that, I just need like a, a workspace to type and to listen to audio, have a couple articles. It's small, but it's in another studio. When I come in here on Sunday night in, for Monday's show, Curtis has taken over this entire studio with newspapers and articles and notes that he's written this Sharpie, very distinct Sharpie language on. He's taken over the whole studio. Dominic Carter, you don't even see him in there because he's buried underneath an avalanche of paper. So he's in there, in the little corner of the world, trying to use his computer. And so... The only thing that I real, you know, I really take a lot of time picking who I'm going to commend each week, and I curate this list pretty carefully. But the only way that I can go through it kind of quickly, but still give you the necessary details, is to have the articles printed out. So Alex, our producer, <laughs> is very good, and sometimes Kenneth is very good about printing these articles out. I send them the yes, links. that is correct. They print them out. Very simple process. And Alex is Johnny on the spot in terms of handing me the articles when I walk in. Yes, that is correct. And this works fine on Thursdays for denunciations. Works fine. Sunday nights, though, Alex hands me the stack of articles. That he's printed, that he's stapled, that sometimes he's even numbered. Hands it to me. And so I put it down beside me in an avalanche of Curtis paper, right? And sure enough, I go and then begin the show. Now, okay, maybe I should have carried these articles into the main studio at the beginning of the show. Shame on me if if I should have done that. But I left them in Studio B, again, not thinking that Curtis was going to run roughshod over everyone else's belongings. And sure enough, I go back there eight minutes ago to grab my stack of articles, which has been printed. And Curtis has cleaned up his stuff. And when I say cleaned it up, he's thrown out a bunch of stuff and put the other stuff into piles that are still unsightly. But sure enough, my stack of articles, he's got the the whole studio covered in paper, and yet his method of cleaning up is to take my stack of articles and either bury it within one of his stacks of articles or to throw it away in an attempt to clean it. But I'm thinking, like, when I throw something away, and Curtis is a clutterer, you know, so I would think he has, the, which I am as well, not like him, but... I would think he has this same philosophy. Before you throw something away, you look at it. You say, do I need this? And so if Curtis looks at this article, don't you think he would say, well, I haven't seen this before. This might not be mine. Let me throw it away. I I just, I don't understand. This is correct. Or, or if he says, well, this is interesting Maybe somebody printed this for me because they thought it would be an interesting talk topic. I'll take this. And then he sees right behind that. Oh, wow. Another interesting article. 
Do, do I think this wow. might be Frank's? I, well, it was right where he was sitting. I mean, really, it, it's it's quite <laughs> irritating, I must say. Um, and now it's a waste of paper, too. We had to now print all these articles again, which Alex is in the process of printing now. So uh, we'll, we'll do commendations in a moment. But uh, my friend, uh, the very lovely Jody in Belmar is on the line. Hello, Jody. Hi, Frank. How are you? I'm doing I'm doing fine. Thanks, Jody. So the funny thing about Nettie's is that I live not too far from it, and I've, I've passed by it, and I thought it was closed. I didn't even think it was an open restaurant because it looks deserted. Um, then I was looking at their website, and they seem to be have like a very nice menu. It looks like a restaurant that opens up later in the day, like at 5 o'clock. Um, so I'm wondering if they just did this to get publicity. That is interesting. You know, I thought that as soon as you said when you drive by, it looks like it's closed. That, you know, look, it worked clearly. If uh, if that's uh, if that's what the goal was, and now at the whole country's talking about them. So that that is interesting. So you think uh, you think maybe this could all be calculated? They don't care so much about uh, I, I children. So. I, I've literally lived in Monmouth County for sixteen years now. And never once thought to go to Nettie's in Tinton Falls. Wow. Well, because whenever I, it's it's on my way to go to the Mammoth Mall, and it always looks like it's just deserted. Now I know you're, not, uh, you. Your son's a little older than the target age group we're talking about here. But what do you think of the idea? Let's say it's not a publicity stunt. What do you think of the idea of uh, restaurants uh, banning children under the age of ten? I I think it's a little much. I think um, that, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't bring my children to a restaurant like that because it's, a, it's like a little pricey. Um, but I, I think that they've done it for publicity. Well, that Personally, is an interesting think- theory, and it's one that I haven't heard so far, Jody, but that doesn't surprise me because you're a very astute observer of things. So uh, that doesn't surprise me in the least. Great. Thank you. And thanks for the shout out for Jeffrey. Absolutely. I hope happy. he had a great birthday. Thank you, Jody. I'll yeah. see you next New Year's Eve Eve, I hope, if not Bye-bye. before. All right. Thank you. Bye. 800 848 Steve in Manhattan has been patiently holding. Let me say hello to Steve. 21st century, and we're afraid of balloons. What about when that balloon flies over a military base and the chicken head report is start telling the world what's uh, housed at that base, too. That's uh, part of our security. And uh, before I get to the meat and potatoes here, guys, don't forget, tomorrow is uh, Valentine's Day. I know it's a bootleg holiday, but you don't want to be in the doghouse. You know, get the gift. The girls love the flowers. Some like the flowers at the job and uh, a card or something, but you don't want to be in the doghouse. I know it's a bootleg holiday. And uh, why don't we... um, with the balloon and everything, listen, China is not interested in actually going to war with us. But any time they could stick it to us, they'll do it. Obviously, three years ago, they did it with the virus. China's goal right now, because they are business partners with the establishment, Republicans and the left, China's goal right now is to start transporting, and they've been doing it for the last 20 years, large portions of their population into the United States, a lot of it illegally, into Europe, 
and into Australia. That's really where your real fight is. Don't be a diversionary by this because you know they, they want, you know, Joe Biden, you know they want him to win next year. Then maybe he shoots down a few balloons. He looks tough. Not to this audience, he doesn't. But the people listening out there who uh, were watching that game last night, they're not really interested. They think, oh, wow, he shot the balloon down. I'm going to vote for him. He's a tough guy. But the thing is also you got to remember now, Frank, you are the talk of the town. I'm impressed. I'm I'm proud of what you did over the weekend, and I did see Shatner one time with uh, Greg Brady, and uh, you know I'm not I'm not starstruck or anything like that. I'm not going to say where it was, but um, the thing is, you got to remember, you got to put everything aside and just concentrate on what you're doing. You're skipping your family. <laughs> I mean, that's Frank, but we love that and everything. And I don't like that Piscopo had to get in on the action that he couldn't sit in the crowd with his family and say, "Hey, it's Frank. I know him." Well, first of all, Joe's family didn't come. Second, Bill invited him to come to, and uh, he said that when uh, Joe interviewed him, he said, "You know, why don't you stop by backstage?" And, and Bill was happy to see him. So, so I think uh, I, I was happy to see Joe as well. Thank you. It, you know, and it gave me a little bit more credibility because clearly Bill likes Joe, and the fact that uh, Joe kind of embraced me in front of Bill, you know, it gave a little bit more. You know, it gave a little bit more credence to uh, my situation all right well finally we have rectified curtis's attempts to sabotage this program and we have a brand new printed list of the other side of midnight presents commendations i want to commend david belusion High school graduation is an important milestone in any person's life, as it is for David. But he's celebrating this accomplishment a bit early. He didn't just skip a grade. He is nine years old. Nine-year-old David Belugan of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Bucks County, I guess, Pennsylvania. Has graduated high school. This is incredible. His journey started in the third grade when his mom and teachers realized he was moving at a faster pace than the other students. And sure enough, he's managed to graduate high school at nine years old. So he's finished up his first semester at uh, Bucks County Community College, and he's now planning to apply to the Ivy League schools as soon as possible. Nine years old, applying to Ivy League schools. Can you imagine? Wow. David Belusian. I do commend you. I must also commend LeBron James. Whatever you think about him, uh, he has now smashed the NBA's all-time scoring record, and it has now ignited a brand-new debate over who the greatest basketball player of all time is. Is it Michael Jordan? Is it Will Chamberlain? Is it Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? Or is it LeBron James? But the fact remains... Whatever you come down on that question, LeBron James became the NBA's leading point scorer of all time last week. All time. This incredible achievement is just remarkable. A lot of people thought Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's record would never be broken. 38,387 points, gone, shattered. LeBron James has now scored more points than any NBA player in the history of the NBA. Imagine. Jeez. Uh, whatever you think about LeBron James, 
That is an impressive, impressive record. So, LeBron James, for your athleticism, I do commend you. I must also commend, some of you are going to disagree with this, commuting. Yes, the good old-fashioned American commute. Because for most American workers who commute, the trip to and from the office takes nearly one full hour a day. 26 minutes on average each way. Mine's a little longer. With 7.7% of workers spending two hours or more on the road. Many people think of commuting as a chore and a waste of time. However, during the remote work surge resulting from the COVID pandemic, several journalists curiously noted that people were missing their commutes. So now there's a recently published conceptual study that looks at commutes as a, as a source of liminal space. And this is a time free of both home and work roles, and it provides an opportunity to recover from work and mentally switch gears to home. The commute... Evidently, according to this study, unless your commute is too long, which is apparently the magic number is two hours, but if your commute's a normal average commute, this does wonders for your brain. It provides for your brain a tremendous, and I agree with this, I have to tell you, it provides for your brain a tremendous transitional period between work and home. Between home and work. And people that work from home full-time, they're missing that transitional period. And uh, I am proud to give the commute a commendation. I must also give a commendation to Pat Mahomes, the Super Bowl MVP, a great quarterback, to think at his age that he's already been to four Super Bowls and has two Super Bowl rings not even 30 yet. The guy has two Super Bowl rings. Who knows? Um, I, I don't think anybody's ever going to play as long as Tom Brady played. But if he has the kind of career that it, like an Aaron Rodgers had or a Brett Favre in terms of length, there's no telling how many Super Bowls he end, he's in, he could end up in. It's extraordinary. So congratulations, uh, Pat Mahomes. We're proud to commend you. I want to commend Delavante Johnson. He's an Arkansas man who returned a wallet to a grandmother. And this has sparked an unexpected friendship. I just love stories like this. They make me so happy. Delavante Johnson was 19 years old. He didn't have to go out of his way to return a lost wallet to its owner and a complete stranger, but he did. And when he returned the wallet that D. Harkrider of Wynn, Arkansas, had unknowingly left in a Walmart shopping cart last month. This sparked an unlikely friendship that is still going strong. This woman, who's Wally returned, D. Harkrider, told USA Today, I just felt like he was an angel sent from God. The pair have stayed in touch since the random act of kindness brought them together. Johnson was welcomed as a visitor to Harkrider's church in January with open arms, and she plans to visit his church in return. This is so nice. I love it. You know, I'll never forget one time 
I was playing softball, and this is about eight years ago, and somebody found my phone that I had lost at the softball field, and they brought it to the radio station the next morning at 6 o'clock in the morning. And I'm still just so grateful to the person that did this, and I never forgot it. And look, I did not stay in touch with that person, but shame on me. I wish I had. I think I friended him on Facebook, so maybe I will reach out to him. This story reminds me of that. But whenever you can return something, a phone, a wallet, anything to somebody that they think they may have lost, it really means a lot. And I really not only give Delevante Johnson a lot of credit here, but I give Miss Harkrider credit here. Because, look, every relationship takes work. Believe me. And so the fact that they're both willing to put in the work in forging a new friendship, I think, is great. But it all began with this fella returning a wallet to a total stranger, which he did not have to return. I want to commend Joe Salmon. I'm not sure if he pronounces it Salmon or Salmon. He's a teenager in Iowa. He's 17 years old. He was ice fishing and watching some snowmobile snowmobile races when he witnessed a jeep plunge into the freezing cold water so joe calls 911 he jumps in to the icy water to save 83 year old thomas lee along with his dog cooper They were going to Thomas Lee's son-in-law's fishing shack around 3 in the afternoon when his car fell into the lake. And this is just, this is real, this is thinking on your feet, and it's heroism. To not only immediately call 911, but then recognize that you're going to have to jump into this freezing cold water for the stranger and a dog that you never met. Love this kid. Love this kid. God bless you, Joe Salmon. I do commend you. Uh, I want to commend as well L. Gianelli, another teenager. I didn't realize, you know, when I was curating this list, perhaps if I had my list in front of me the whole time and it was not pilfered by Curtis Lewa, that I had so many teenagers. Ellie Gianelli, 16 years old, Stockton, California. Um... Is Stockton, California? I think it is, yeah. So Stockton, California. She spreads cheer by sending colorful socks to people in assisted living. I think this is wonderful. People's day get get brightened because of the socks that Ellie Gianelli, and she started this when she was in the seventh grade, sends to these people in assisted living. That's great. I have always said that I would like to do... You know, my problem, and I'm not making excuses, because it's all a question of priorities, right? We all prioritize the things that we decide are important. I've always thought it would be fun to do a a radio collection. You know, they have different drives, toy drives, teddy bear drives, to collect radios from people that want to donate radios, and then donate them to people that are in retirement communities or assisted living. Because a lot of times they don't have great entertainment options, and a lot of times they really enjoy radio. So I'd, I'd like to do that one day. And this this young woman, Ellie L. Gianelli, has inspired me 
uh, to do that. I want to give a <clears throat> posthumous commendation to my former attorney on election law matters, Josh Ehrlich. Um, you know, I've known Josh for a long time, about uh, about 20 years. And he's represented me many times. But, and he always did a fair job. Not a, Honestly, not a great job, but a fair job. But in the process of working with him, we became very good friends. And we would stay in touch. And he was an election lawyer. And this is a very unique specialization in New York. I know a lot of lawyers. Very few election lawyers. The list of election lawyers that will give you election law advice for free, it's on less you could have that you could count them on one hand and still have a couple of fingers left over. Josh was one of these lawyers. And I um, hadn't heard that he passed away. His memorial service is going to be today at Temple Israel in New Rochelle at noon. And I'm sorry that I'm not going to be there. I wish that I could be. But he's passed away at the age of 67 from congestive heart failure. Uh, born in the Bronx. And he was raised in Manhattan. And he was uh, he, a, a graduate of Columbia University and uh, Miami Law School. A very well-known attorney. And he dedicated the bulk of his life to public service. Worked for the state senate, worked for the Westchester County Board of Elections. But he was just such a great guy, besides. Um, And I'm really far too young. You know, I spoke to him just recently. And uh, we were talking about different things and uh, different election law matters. And he always just struck me as so energetic. And it just goes to show you, 67 years old. Can all end like that. So it's posthumous commendation for my friend Josh Ehrlich. I also want to thank... Chris from the Catskills. Now, Chris from the Catskills sends me about 20 SMS text messages a day. They're all way too long. And as such, I ignore about 80% of them. But he did inform me that Josh passed away. So I'm going to reach out to Josh. I know he was a father. And uh, I'm going to reach out to his uh, family. And a lot of it, he was divorced. So I know he didn't have a wife. But... uh, All these people in politics I know, none of them told me that Josh passed away. And Chris, who I don't think I've ever met in person, at least had the thought to say, oh, you know, Frank used to be involved in the Independence Party, used to be involved in the Reform Party. He probably knows Josh. Um, Let me let me at least tell him. And, you know, but for the fact that that uh, that he had told me that I wouldn't have known. So. I know a lot of people didn't know Josh, but he was a great guy, a wonderful guy, and a very good lawyer, and he's going to be missed by all of us that knew him, so happy to give him a posthumous commendation. All right, well, hey, you know, the New York Times, think what you want about them. They do, they they offer a lot of really terrific recipes. I cut out recipes from the New York Times all all the time. In the history of the New York Times, what do you think is the most popular recipe that they've ever offered? Right? I mean, there's all sorts of different recipes that they offer. They, well, it turns out that 
of all the highfalutin recipes out there, the most popular recipe that they have ever in terms of downloads online is from 1994. And it's old-fashioned beef stew. Takes two hours and 30 minutes to make. And this is the most popular recipe that they've ever put online and had people download. So this recipe from 1994 is the most popular. Can you imagine? It's not um, bouillabaisse. It's not a... I don't know. It's, you know, it's not coconut chicken curry, green shakshuka with avocado and lime, or kung pao cauliflower. They put out 700 recipes last year in the New York Times. So thousands of recipes fill their cooking database. And a 1994 classic is the most popular. It has more than 19,000 reviews and an average rating of five stars. It's been viewed over 24 million times since 2019, with 6.7 million of those visits occurring in 2022 alone. I want to put that in perspective. That is an average. This beef stew recipe, that is an average of 18,000 hits per day. Per day. So you know what I'm going to do? If uh, you're interested in this, I'm going to link to it right now on my uh, Facebook page. You can uh, check it out, facebook.com slash MoranoFan. But it takes two and a half hours to make. Um, But uh, if that's not a call for accommodation, I don't know what is. I must also commend, finally, Zachary Printer. A British cop, unarmed British cop, He confronted a man who just shot five people, and he saved the day. The gunman, I don't usually like to say the name of the gunman, but his name was Jack Davison. It's relevant to the anecdote from the unarmed police officer. This unarmed police officer was talking to the Guardian about how he ran towards this gunman, Jake Davison. He shot dead five people with a pump-action shotgun. And this cop, Zachary Printer, unarmed, running towards someone with a shotgun, was determined to grab his attention and stop him from hurting anyone else. And this is what uh, this is what Zachary Printer said. My role as a police officer is to protect the public as best I can. I had no choice. I had to confront him to protect the public. I had to become the focus of his attention. He said he went to the scene even though unarmed officers were not meant to attend. He was tending one of the victims when he heard somebody shouting, He's back. He's got a gun. Um, he added that I, I needed to protect the public. I also needed to protect Jake. The gunman. He was obviously going through a massive trauma. If I got closer, I would negotiate and talk him down. And that is precisely what he did. So this this person, Jake Davison, killed his mother. 
then three-year-old Sophie Martin, her father, Lee Martin, Stephen Washington, and Kate, Kate Shepard. And with this pump-action shotgun still in his hand, Zachary Printer exercised a great deal of heroism, ran towards him, de-escalated the situation. If this guy isn't a hero, I don't know who is. Um, I mean, just really incredible. Incredible. All right. Um, that concludes this week's edition of Commendations. Thoughts, comments, questions, you can give me a call. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Other side of midnight. I am Frank Moreno. Uh, that is, of course, the Eagles, and um, <clears throat> we're taking your calls. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. That's eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Playing a lot of uh, songs in honor of the great Mary Riley, a wonderful person, great listener, friend of Curtis Lewa, friend of Frank Moreno, friend of John Katzmatidis. It's her birthday today. If you run across Mary Riley today, maybe uh, wish her a happy birthday. All right. Um, a lot of people patiently holding, and I have been ranting. So let's make up for lost time. Simon is in Brooklyn. Hello, Simon. Yeah, Frankie. Hi. Good day. Good morning. morning. Um, yeah, William Satin. By the way, that tissue you have could be worth – it is a blessing, and I think it's going to be worth a lot of money one day. Um, but you, you know that he comes from a rabbinical um, family. Is is a uh, he comes from the high priest. I can he comes from a Jewish background, and Leonard Nimoy also was a. They come in Hebrew. It's called Kohanim. Yeah, well, I so knew he comes from. Yeah, I, yeah I, he comes from from a Kabbalistic, uh, very high referential family. His great grandfather was. So. Um, yeah. So yeah, when, they, he, when you asked, did I know that? That was more of a rhetorical question because you didn't pause to. Allow me to give my answer. But, um, sure. but uh, yeah, he was uh, obviously the – and we talked a lot about this in private. He was the uh, – the uh, basically came from immigrants. His family was uh, immigrants, and uh, his father was a clothing manufacturer, 
But um, he is not really into uh, being a religious Jew, but he's very much into being his cultural Jewish identity. And yeah, so, so if you look at his movies for the past, he was a very spiritual man. And you could see that he, he what we have today is because of Star Trek. You know, yeah, you see agreed. Scotty beam me down, walkie, you know, the cell phones, they had those and, it, and hopefully one day we could we'll we'll probably like uh, beam people down. I mean, if it's possible, you know, going into a transmitter and uh, but he he really he really gave us the the blueprint what we have today. That's, yeah, that's uh, the beauty. Thank you, Simon. I I completely agree with you. I completely agree. I really a guy that genuinely changed uh, the world. And it's funny. I've been going back and watching in preparation of this interview and even since then. All sorts of Shatner interviews, reading all sorts of Shatner articles. It's staggering the number of people that went into science, engineering, aviation because of William Shatner. I would bet you that because of his role as T.J. Hooker, you could say the same thing about people that went into policing. And if I ever became an attorney, which I'm not planning on, but it would be because of Denny Crane and his role as uh, Boston Legal. And it's just something about Shatner that – so there's a wonderful movie not a lot of people have seen. And even – I mentioned this. You know, I mentioned a lot of Shatner movies in Englewood on Saturday and in Red Bank on Friday. And everyone that I mentioned, somebody would clap. Or he, if he would mention a TV series or a movie that he'd done, uh, I'd say, uh, you know, Bill, in your documentary, The Captains – and you'd ever, ah, ah. It's funny. I met this – 1,200 people there. And I mention a film that he was in called Free Enterprise. I don't think anyone clapped. Because I don't think anyone in the crowd on Saturday saw it. At least not, you know, enough to clap about it. Free Enterprise is a wonderful picture. And um, William Shatner plays himself. It's a fictionalized version of himself, but it's himself. And it's basically about two lifelong uh, Shatner-obsessed Star Trek fans that finally get to meet their hero. And they realize he's just as screwed up as they are. And um, Shatner is trying to tell these young men, they're 30 years old, he's trying to tell them that, you know, he's just a loser like they are. They are insistent, at least this one character, Rob, played brilliantly by Rafer Weigel. It's a wonderful film, free enterprise, can't recommend it enough. Rafer Weigel's character, uh, Rob, tells Shatner, that you had to embody some of the characteristics of leadership that you exuded on the screen. And that is the thing with Shatner. Whether he's playing Denny Crane, T.J. Hooker, Captain Kirk, someone else, he really does, um, for me, he was the embodiment of everything that it means to be an ideal I'll say an ideal man, but you could just as easily say an ideal person. And I think he had to have, and this is the point that Rob makes to him in the movie, he had to have some of those characteristics himself in order to portray them so well on uh, on screen. Now, I am going to upset a lot of people here. Uh, I'm going to give you fair warning to tune out. Three, two, one. You've been warned. If you are upset, don't come crying to me. Today is Abraham Lincoln's birthday. 
And uh, today you are going to hear a full day of tribute to Abraham Lincoln, a man who uh, many people consider to be one of the greatest presidents of all time. I am not one of those people. I am very critical of Abraham Lincoln and the decisions that he made. I understand why he did them, and I think he was a good man and a great father and a guy that uh, came from a good place. But uh, to me, I view Abraham Lincoln almost like Vladimir Zelensky. I mean, it worked out well winning the war for Lincoln, and who knows, maybe it will for Zelensky as well. I'm skeptical. But Lincoln, like Zelensky, essentially subverted democracy because it was a crisis and tried to win a war. So, um, you know, a president of the United States, when he takes the oath of office, he swears to uphold, protect, and defend the Constitution. There's no provision in the Constitution that you take the oath to swear, the preserve, protect, and defend to say, unless there's a war or unless there's a national crisis or unless there's a constitutional crisis, then, oh, no, no, I'll just forget about all that Constitution stuff. Then I don't swear to uphold and protect it. There's no doubt about the fact that Abraham Lincoln violated his oath to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution. We can debate about whether or not that was warranted or not. Um, But in terms of a president of the United States that operated outside the law, ignored the Constitution, ignored the courts, shut down the press, imprisoned his domestic adversaries, turned guns on his own people, Abraham Lincoln is the worst offender in the history of the American Republic. Um, And he's a national hero. And now, the reason I'm talking about this is because I've always said, when it comes to Columbus, when it comes to Lincoln, when it comes to Washington, the solution to repairing any historical ills that they've caused is not to tear down their statues and burn their paintings. It's to use the occasion of holidays that celebrate them to learn about them, to talk about them, to debate about them. Lincoln ignored his closest advisors and the temper of the times to engage in the bloodiest war in American history, a war that probably could have been avoided. And you can argue that Lincoln single-handedly terrorized the entire nation. So let Let's take notice. About seven years ago, I interviewed Thomas DiLorenzo, who is one of the very few historians. PhD, he's a professor. He happens to be a conservative, but I don't think that's relevant here. He happens to be one of the very few serious scholars that's overtly critical of Abraham Lincoln. He's written two books. One is called uh, The Real Lincoln. One is called Lincoln Unmasked. And uh, actually three books. I have, I've only read two. One is a more recent one. In fact, maybe we'll invite him on the show. The most recent one's called The Problem with Lincoln. And I interviewed Lincoln about, excuse me, I interviewed Thomas DiLorenzo about Lincoln and why he thinks he was such a bad president. Go online and read, uh, look for an article that I published called The Real Lincoln in His Own Words. 
And it was just, uh, you know, parts of Lincoln's speeches taken from the collected works of Abraham Lincoln. And probably his most famous one is in one of the Lincoln-Douglas debates where he said, uh, I have uh, I have no per- no intention to make voters or jurors of Negroes or allow them to uh, to intermarry with white people, or or be citizens in any any way, and uh, and and so he was basically was a, a sort of a white supremacist who would make David Duke blush uh, with some of the language he used. And I don't I don't want to repeat the language on the on the radio, but I would just recommend if you really want to see those words, you can look up the article on the web of mine, the real Lincoln in, in his own words. And, and it's straight from the collected works of Abraham Lincoln. He also advocated uh, for, until his dying day colonization, which was uh, essentially deportation of all the black people out of the country. And there was a, a, a very scholarly book published by Oxford University Press a few years ago called Colonization After Emancipation that showed up to a few days before his death. He was planning with his secretary of state, William Seward, how to organize enough ships to deport all the black people out of the country. Even he was negotiating with England or any other foreign government that where he could buy land and, and set up a colony somewhere. And and so that was the real Abraham Lincoln. This, this is such a white supremacist. This is, anybody. And it's a really interesting interview, um, but it, it, I'm not going to play the whole thing. There's been more than 16,000 books written about Lincoln and, Almost all of them, with a couple of exceptions, including the three that I just mentioned, just about all of them are not just laudatory. They're worshipful. Lincoln liberated the slaves. He was assassinated. He was a martyr to the cause of social justice, an exalted human being, one of the greatest leaders the world has known. He emerges almost Christ-like in his suffering and in his legacy. Um, Much like John F. Kennedy, his legacy benefited because he was assassinated. In The Real Lincoln uh, by Thomas DiLorenzo, a new look at Abraham Lincoln, his agenda, and an unnecessary war, DiLorenzo takes a very different approach. He, look, and these are not my words, but according to DiLorenzo, Lincoln was an easy-to-believe liar whose devious use of words, and he was a very talented orator, enabled him to set up essentially a fascist state while claiming to be the opposite. He oversaw the slaughter of three-quarters of a million Americans and the permanent maiming of a million and a half more. He decimated the Southern economy, its culture, its society, its agriculture, all in the name of the greater good. He suspended habeas corpus in clear violation of the Constitution. He imprisoned his opponents, again, Clear violation of the Constitution. He shut down the press. First Amendment? What First Amendment? He oversaw the installation of martial law. He was one of the greatest subverters of the Constitution of all time. According to DiLorenzo, he was Vladimir Lenin and Genghis Khan all wrapped up in one. And I'll add, these are my words, Lincoln gave us the income tax... Even though there was no 16th Amendment, there was no constitutional authority to levy an income tax. And here comes good old honest Abe enacting one anyway, because wars cost money. In a similar vein, Edmund Wilson equates Lincoln with the German monarch Otto von Bismarck in the 1860s. Bismarck engineered a series of wars that unified the German states 
under a strong central government, just as Lincoln was in the process of achieving the same goal by the same means. Edgar Lee Masters compares Lincoln to Robespierre, a man of lofty ideals who presided over the reign of terror, the bloodiest period in French history, marked by mass executions of enemies of the revolution. Tens of thousands were summarily executed. Such claims undoubtedly are going to take a lot of you by surprise. Disbelief, dismay. How and why have we been so spoon-fed this Lincoln myth? Are historians on the side of the truth? Or are they on the side of the propaganda machine that seeks to conceal facts about a period in history that has done more to change this country than any other? So, um... I'm going to link to this article written by uh, Dr. Arthur Robbins, who uh, passed away, but he was uh, a person I enjoyed uh, interviewing very much. And his book, uh, Paradise Lost, Paradise Regained, is one of the best books on democracy in America. Now, he's not a white supremacist or anything like that. He was, if anything, I would guess left of center, but he was somebody that really believed in uh, democracy. So I'm going to post this article on my Facebook page because uh, he makes so many good points about so many of the poor things that Lincoln did. Now, I don't I'm not going to sit here and say Lincoln was all bad. Of course, he wasn't. Very few historical figures are all good or all bad. But if we're going to spend the day worshiping him today, I'd like you to at least read the article and know what Lincoln did. In terms of shutting down the press, in terms of imprisoning his enemies Suspending habeas corpus. And um, it's just, we've so been uh, brainwashed into believing that Lincoln was this incredible saint figure, sainted figure, that I think it's very difficult to view him objectively when we should. We should view every historical figure objectively. Jefferson, Theodore Roosevelt, uh, George Washington. Let's look at everybody. The good, the bad, and with Lincoln, we don't look at the bad. So that's why I felt an obligation to at least mention it, even though it's his birthday. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Empire State of Mind, another Mary Riley selection on her birthday. It's also Abraham Lincoln's birthday. And uh, obviously so much of Lincoln... um, Involves when studying Lincoln involves his assassination, right? So everybody always debates the John F. Kennedy assassination. Was it a conspiracy? Was it a conspiracy? Well, how about Abraham Lincoln? Was his assassination a conspiracy? Yes, it was. It's not me saying so. It's not conjecture. It's not the work of conspiracy theorists. Eight conspirators 
were tried. And this is something very few people know. So listen up and impress some people when you go to work or go to the bar to celebrate the Chiefs' victory today. Eight conspirators were tried by a military commission for Abraham Lincoln's murder. David Harold, Lewis Powell, George Atzerodt, and Mary Surratt were found guilty and hanged, while Samuel Mudd, Michael O'Loughlin, and Samuel Arnold were sentenced to life in prison, in prison, and Edmund Spangler received a six-year sentence. That was the first military in the United States of America, the first military commission sentence of death for a woman, Mary Surratt. And she was killed because of her role in the conspiracy to assassinate Lincoln. So John Wilkes Booth did kill Lincoln, but it was a conspiracy. Not says me, but says the people that hung eight conspirators. Um, well, the uh, four of them were hung and the rest got prison sentences. Um, <clears throat> there has always been a theory that John Wilkes Booth may have actually lived. And um, John Wilkes Booth, obviously history tells us that Booth was tracked down and killed after he tried to escape. Some believe the last part of Booth's story is not true. In Oklahoma, there's a legend that Booth spent his final days in Oklahoma and lived into his 60s. Uh, Russ Frizee uh, has been one of the people presenting this, and I interviewed Russ a while ago. But Dr. Brenda Stevens is a professor of history and African-American studies at UCLA. Um, Well, I'll play you what she said after the top of the hour. I'm going to run out of time here. But if you want to comment on uh, anything that we're talking about here, you're welcome to. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Talking Lincoln. Talking restaurants banning children. UFOs getting shot down. The Super Bowl. Is there another radio show that can capture more topics in a shorter amount of time? I doubt it. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Until next hour, in the immortal words of the late, great Bob Grant's Always remember that your influence counts, so you might as well use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Everybody, this is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Let me just uh, finish what I was going to say on the Lincoln front, and then I want to bring to your attention uh, another story that I find somewhat disturbing. So there is this theory, and the lead person that would put this theory out there was a fellow by the name of Russ Frizee, and Russ Frizee said essentially that uh, John Wilkes Booth was not hunted down. And killed. He lived out the rest of his life in Oklahoma 
And if you look at some of the photos, it looks like there's a case. He changed his alias to David E. George. He went up through the Chisholm Trail, which is their 81st highway. And uh, the tale goes that once he got to Hennessey, Oklahoma, Booth got really sick. And on his deathbed, he confessed to his landlord, a Methodist minister, and his wife that he was actually John Wilkes Booth. But Booth recovered. And some locals believed he left Hennessey and fled to Enid because he had spilled his secret. So according to Frizee, uh he would go to the saloons located on the south side of the square and recite Shakespeare and do skits. Those skits, they claim, are a possible clue that Booth was who he confessed to be. Uh, you know, Booth, of course, was an actor. So Frizee told a station out there in Oklahoma, KOCO, in an alcohol stupor, he was claiming to his fellow barflies, you'll see, I was once an important man and did a great thing. As he aged, Booth supposedly became unhappy and despondent and poisoned himself in the hotel room. The autopsy revealed more clues. He, according to Frizee, he had the broken leg. He was the correct age, the correct physical characteristics, the one telling Mark that their booth didn't have, but our booth does, according to Frizee, was a scar across the back of the neck that Booth had gotten on stage during a sword fight. Very few historians believe that. But it's interesting to explore, right? I'm just putting it out there. Dr. Brenda Stevens, a professor of history at uh, and African-American studies at UCLA, she was on the History Channel talking about this theory that John Wilkes Booth may have lived. This notion that John Wilkes Booth survived is one that fuels a lot of myths about the time period. And so all of this is sort of out there and stirring the pot of whether or not John Wilkes Booth got away with it for getting to Texas or Oklahoma or any of the other places that people believe that he was. The notion that someone would show up in a small southern town or enclave where there was great, great Confederate sympathy and claim to be John Wilkes Booth makes sense because that person would have the support, would seem like a movie star of sort. Some of the girls would line up, maybe sneak out their houses to see him getting away with wooing girls and leaving town with babies behind. There you have it. Uh, put it out there, 800-848-9222, comment as you see fit. Now, this is uh, a very disturbing story. It was on the front page of Saturday's uh, New York Post, and um, it's gotten a lot of attention, and it's really blowing up, and I'm sure you're going to hear about it a lot, not only the rest of the week, but in the coming weeks. 14-year-old New Jersey high school student took her own life, 14 years old, took her own life, after a video was posted online of a group of girls attacking her. And it was a suicide that her father believes was fueled by longtime bullying. Adriana Cooch, who attended Central Regional High School in Berkeley Township, New Jersey, was found dead at home two days after the sickening February 1st assault. There's this video that showed several students attacking the teenager, hitting her with a water bottle. 
as she walked with her boyfriend in a school hallway. In the 22nd clip, viewed by a uh, local news outlet, a person is heard yelling, that's what you get, you stupid blank blank. The assailants are seen punching, kicking, and pulling Adriana's hair, while others laugh and record the vicious assault. The assailants, um, you know, they're behaving very cruelly. And her father told uh, WABC Channel 7 in New York, they think it's fun to attack people and take videos and post them. Getting hit with a water bottle didn't hurt Adriana. What hurt her was the embarrassment and humiliation. They just kept coming at her. So the girls have been charged with third-degree felony assault, and a fourth was charged with disorderly conduct. The school superintendent told the news outlet, the, uh, told the news outlet police were not called after the attack, citing school policy. Quote, I don't believe a police report was done. We normally just suspend. If a parent wants to press charges, they can with the police. We're not going to double whammy a kid where they are suspended and then police charges as well. Well, let me ask, why? Why? If someone commits assault, if I uh, assault someone here at the radio station, I got news for you. I'm going to be fired or suspended from the radio station and then... I'm going to be arrested. It's, I, I don't understand that at all. So Adriana Cooch was, uh, her father, I should say, was outraged at the school's response. He told uh, WNBC Channel 4 in New York, a kid is assaulted with a weapon and their policy is not to call the police or file a report. And uh, the father is also using social media. He posted images of the assault. And look, this is looks like just a beautiful girl. You see her spending time with horses. And one woman uh, said in one of the papers over the weekend that uh, she actually saved her child from drowning. I think it was like an eight-year-old who was would have drowned in a pool, but for Adriana not saving her. And you had these four girls who planned and executed an attack. And he's demanding, the father, accountability from the Ocean County School District for harassment and bullying that he says that his daughter suffered for a long time. A long time. And apparently, there's so many different aspects to this story. Um, the, some of these girls were even posting on this, about this incident on Snapchat after this girl killed herself. The girls that beat her up, even after she killed herself, were still posting on Snapchat. The father was quoted in one of the papers as saying, why do the parents of these girls not take their phones away? No answer to that. The school district is being heavily criticized. More than 200 students at this high school walked out of class in protest, demanding action over what they described as a pattern of bullying that the district ignores. The district did mention Adriana's death in a note on its website and said crisis counselors were available, but students claim they were not made personally aware of that. One student, Lance Jones, 
said nobody was supposed to know Adriana killed herself. But word spread about the tragedy. Students and parents claim Adriana was not the only victim of bullying. Last April, a student was attacked in the school cafeteria, suffering an injury that left her unable to fight back. Others shared similar accounts, claiming they or people they knew had been bullied and the district did nothing about it. The district posted a letter on its website saying in part that we fully understand that students, staff, and the community are hurting for the loss of such a young lady with a bright future. Um, So it's very sad when a 14-year-old dies. When a 14-year-old takes her own life, it is a genuine tragedy. The superintendent had come out and said, oh, no, don't blame us. It wasn't the school's fault. This girl was upset because her father, the guy that I've been reading you quotes from, her father had an affair. That's why she was upset. Oh, and by the way, she was on drugs also. She would take drugs, and uh, her father had an affair. So it's not the school's fault. Nothing we did. So for the last 48 hours, those comments by the superintendent have been heavily, heavily criticized. And now, finally, the superintendent has resigned as a result of this. So the superintendent of this New Jersey school district where this 14-year-old student took her own life after this TikTok video showed that she was attacked by four other teenagers, um, this superintendent has resigned after his comments have been universally criticized. You know, someone kills themselves. I I don't think this is the appropriate thing to do, to say essentially it's their fault. Um, it's such a, a sad situation. If you have thoughts about it, 800-848-922. The one thing that I do feel obliged to mention, well, I want to raise one question and then uh, mention one thing. But it's interesting. There's always been bullying, right? Kids in high school have always picked on other kids. Kids in high school have always... Uh, beat up other kids. Why are we in a place today, or maybe it's not that common, maybe the reason it's on the front page of the paper is because this is not that common an occurrence, but it seems more common. Again, maybe it's because of the media coverage involved. So this is one area where I don't have statistics. But why is it that a generation ago, two generations ago, you were able to see bullying take place, including physical, uh, you know, bullying. And you did not see the victims kill themselves. What's changed? 800-848-9222. Now, obviously, part of the answer to that, whatever answer you come up with, part of the answer to that is social media. And it's clear if what the father says is true. It's clear that the fact that this attack was played out on social media and that this girl had to keep seeing every aspect of it on social media, it's clear that that had a deleterious effect on her mental health. But it's interesting to me about social media that there's all these political 
stories that you can't share. You remember uh, the Hunter Biden laptop uh, story, how controversial that was. Uh, There's all sorts of other things that can't get shared without a warning. How is it that these girls are able to go on social media and share this video of this young woman being beaten up? Now, I know TikTok is kind of like the Old West, owned by the Chinese, and, you know, it's uh, it's kind of a not exactly a model for decorum. But for all the restrictions that are out there, it seems way too easy to share bullying videos. So I, I do wonder if that's an aspect that the social media companies need to do a better job with. I saw one politician yesterday uh, say there should be a minimum age where that of legality for using social media. I think it was 16 or 17, he said. So uh, under his proposal, these 14-year-old students wouldn't even be able to use social media. So 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on any aspect of this. Diana is in Manhattan. Hello, Diana. Hi, how are you? I love your show. Thank you. Uh, I'm transgender, as you probably know, since I call now and then. And I was certainly bullied in both grammar school and high school. I quit two different schools because of it. My mother backed me up. She was great. And, uh, yeah, I think it's really terrible that people... uh, I would not take the bullying, so I, I was not willing to stand for it. I had a strong sense of self, thanks to my parents. And um, I'm very sorry that this young woman, uh, they say suicide is violence turned inward, and maybe it is, because maybe she should have hauled off and belted those four ladies, you know? Well, it's easy to say, but when it's four on one, it's a yeah, much, it's much easier said than done. And, and also- 14-year-olds have great hormonal changes, and they can be more easily upset than more mature folk. And who knows? I mean, and for that supervisor to say that the father had had an affair, well, it's none of the supervisor's business. And that this poor young woman was on drugs. Well, mention a teenager who isn't, you know. I mean, that is just, I'm glad he, quote unquote, resigned, i.e. was fired, you know. Well, I am too. See, I think the difference, Diana, I don't know how old you are, but I think the difference between... I'm 66. Right. So the difference between when you were going to school versus uh, Adriana here is that uh, you didn't have to worry if you were bullied. You experienced the bullying and then you, that was that, you dealt with it however you would deal with it. You didn't have to deal with that bullying being constantly replayed and played out over social media the way this girl did. And the bulliers bragging about it, even after this poor young woman killed herself. That is a disgrace. Exactly, exactly. Uh, Hey, Diana, thank you. I appreciate the call. I heard your call into Curtis uh, Saturday night into Sunday morning as I was driving home. Well well done. Well done. Thank you. Thank thank you. you. 800-848-9222. Paul is on Staten Island. Hello, Paul. Hey, what's up, brother? Good morning. Morning. Well, here's what I think. Bullying, because of social media, bullying has put it on such a wide spectrum now. Like, it's not just the little click in the school that, that bullies the kid or jumps the kid. 
Now everybody's seeing it, and you got people videotaping, enjoying it instead of dropping the stupid camera and jumping in to help. I got two girls. I got twins. I, I told you that a long time ago. Right. You know, they're 14 now. I remember. Now, yeah, I, I couldn't handle it if it was my two kids. Like, I would flip out. I would probably go to jail. Now, imagine how the kids are feeling. It's, it's social media. It's social media is evil, brother. That's so, what I'm telling you. It's so evil. What, what do you think the solution is, Paul? Do you think this, uh, I think it's a senator, this senator that's uh, proposing a ban on social media for people under a certain age, do you think he's onto something, or do you think there's another solution? I think it could help. No, I think that would help because my kids, my two drive me nuts. Both their phones, their screens broke one to, uh, within the past couple of weeks. And they were flipping out. What am I going to do? I can't go on this. I can't go on that. I was like, go the hell outside. Read a book. Do something else. <laughs> that doesn't constitute you going on the phone. They're addicted to it. I think that would help. I really do. I can't stand social media anymore. Yeah. Well, thank you, Paul. When you see stories like this, it's easy to understand why. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Your reaction to every aspect of this—the the fact that uh, look, bullying's always been there. You heard from Diana. So why now are uh, children killing themselves after being bullied? Is it solely due to social media, or is there more at play? What role do the social media companies have? What role do these girls should these girls face stiffer penalties? Because of what happened. Um, I don't know. 800-848-9222. I mean, clearly the school district acted inappropriately. They absolutely should have called the police from the get-go. Right? I mean, something, a serious assault like this, you can't just handle it in-house. I don't think you can. You tell me what you think. 800-848-9222. Original Rick is in New Jersey. Hello, Rick. Yeah, good morning, Frank. This is about uh, subjects a little while ago that I've been holding, about the UFOs and about the restaurant. About the restaurant, I agree with Matt Blaze 100% about restricting the kids. Uh, You know that thing on Google that you said uh, tells you how busy somewhere is? How busy? Um, I, I... Remember you said you, you, uh, you go on Google and it'll tell you the story, like what when, when it's crowded, what it's not. Uh, well, I don't remember, but let's assume I do. Okay. Well, I wish I had something on there that would tell you if the restaurant has age restrictions. Because I have had so <laughs> many of my meals disrupted because of unruly children. That I, I one time had to ask, "Can I have my money back? I, I can't take this." They, oh, we'll give you free dessert. And I said, I, "I don't even want to stay till dessert." Frank, it's not only that they're running around. Which, why are they running around? They should be at the table, throwing food, whatever. They give them these tablets and phones that they're playing these video games at full volume right behind you. And I'm just trying to have my meal, and it's like, "Can you please?" Put earplugs in or turn that down to have volume. I mean, the, the parents have no courtesy whatsoever for anyone else. So I, if I find a place that restricts children, I'm there. I'm going there. <laughs> well, what did you make of um, the lovely Jody's theory that this was an attempt by the restaurant to gin up publicity? I don't think so. You don't but think I so? Think th- I, I, I think they're going to. People saying, well, you're going to lose a lot of business. Well, you're also going to gain business. No, absolutely. Like, Cuts like both people ways. like me, you know, yeah. Now, and before we go, I want to talk about the, the UFOs. But on this restaurant thing, 
parents just don't have control over the kids. Like you and I, I would have never even dreamt of acting up at a restaurant because I know what would have happened when I got home. Yeah. Nothing happens to the kids, friend. Nothing, nothing happens to the kids. It's like, oh, okay, you ruined everyone's meal. Uh, go play. Well, you know, nothing I mean, happens to certain kids, right? But so the problem is, why should the parents that are doing an adequate job disciplining their children, why should they be punished because the other parents are not responsible? Why should all well, the parents? I, I, I know, and I know, I understand what you're saying, Frank, and, and that's very true. But there are a lot of instances in the world, like why, why, why can't 18 year olds that can uh, drink responsibly well, drink at 18 when yeah. others have to wait till 21? You know, it's I, just I, part I, of I used, life. I used know? to ask the same question when I was 18. But I wish this <laughs> restaurant. Thank you, Rick. I wish this restaurant would instead. Just say, look, now, that's why this Jody theory that it's about publicity was so interesting. The restaurant could say, look, we are instituting a zero-tolerance policy for misbehaving children. If a child misbehaves, if it runs around, if he throws anything, he yells, you, your whole party will be asked to leave. Right? Wouldn't that do it? This way, you're punishing not age, you're punishing action. 10, I think, is just too high an age. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to uh, Joe in uh, New Jersey. Hello, Joe. Hey, good morning, Frank. Good morning. Uh, starting with the um, with the bullying, uh, I was bullied. I think if it doesn't make you, uh, if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. Um, thanks to the people who did that. When I was in grammar school, I've worked out now six days a week for the last 40 three years and um you know i I, who knows i might have been dead from obesity because you know i liked food Mm -hmm. and i was chunky they were right but like now it goes back to the social media like when i got beat up or bullied nobody had a video of it so it went away the next day that's exactly what i was going to ask you and so um those were the two things i was going to ask you so uh in the when you say you were bullied were you both uh physically and verbally bullied mostly verbally because i was like i was chunky you know Husky is what we used to call it. And uh, um, so, like, you know, I could still, I was strong, but I was, I was chunky. And, um, but, you know, sometimes they would they would pick on me and run real fast because I couldn't catch them. But then it got to the point where, again, I, you know, had enough. I joined the gym in town. I think it was $20 a month with my paper money. And, uh, you know, so, but now as a father, I've had, you know, my daughter got bullied and in school. And I don't really like the process, the HIV, you know, harassment, intimidation, bullying. And, you know, you get the police involved and it feels like it's a lot, but like I could see where it was really like destroying her from the inside. And then, you know, that story you just read, it's like heartbreaking. Yeah. So, uh, uh, so uh, given your experience and given the story that I just shared prospectively, what should parents be doing? What should school districts be doing? What should social media companies be doing? There's just no simple answer because if it was, yeah. it would it would be done. I mean, you don't know the kids that are that are going to fall to the to not the weakness, but just that aren't able to to cope with with it. And then some sometimes it's just the group of girls, especially girls. It's not that it doesn't happen to boys, but girls are vicious. And um, that's you know, like so my daughter was involved, and they don't just try to bully; they almost try to destroy. And it, it's not enough just that one time. It's it's you know they'll they'll isolate, alienate, right? And it just it. So, like, you know, I felt weird getting the school and the police involved. It, it had to be done. To, to, And then it becomes like a scare thing now. Like, if your kid gets called in with that, the parents are stupid if they don't realize that they got to do something because 
now, now your kid could be possibly going to like juvenile, you know, court. There's, there's a lot of repercussions for the kid who's doing the bullying now. But then kids throw the bullying around too easily. You know, you could very easily say, "Hey, you just bullied me." Now the school has to investigate it. So you're part of an investigation. Yeah, you see, really didn't do anything wrong except a mean look, let's say. See, that's what I'm wondering, Joe, because I've seen what's happened with the, the workplace and the weaponization of sexual harassment, right? There's no question sexual harassment is a real thing and nobody should have to put up with it. But I am concerned that in the workplace, we've now gone uh, to a point where – we have uh, essentially criminalized innocuous conduct between genders uh, and even even same gender uh, to a level that is unhealthy. And so I'm wondering if we risk going that route with uh, with children, if we take children kind of teasing each other in the normal jocular manner that children always do and if we say if someone says something mildly uh, insulting to another student, are we going to call that bullying and make a, essentially a federal case out of uh, normal childhood conduct? So and, and again, that's why I asked the question, because I don't think there are easy answers here because I, I don't want I don't want that to happen either. But I also don't want uh, this you know, a fourteen year old girl to be assaulted by a f- gang of four four thuglets and and then have that have that have that experience relived for her on social media repeatedly. Well, well that is criminal because it, it, it's, it's you know it's a, it's a uh, assault. But part of it too is like I've told my other kids, all my kids, that if you're not able to help, because it's easy to say as a father, you get in there and you help. I understand you can't, but at a minimum, you don't take part, you don't video. And ideally, if you could support, you know, after the fact, be a good Christian, be a good human. You know, it's what you're supposed to do. Sure. Yeah, it's good. Hey, do you have children, Joe? Yeah, I have four. Four. At what ages? Uh, grammar school to college. Oh, okay. They run the game. So um, have they, at least the younger ones, are a part of this social media era. Have they reported kind of how much of a game changer social media is in terms of the, in terms of bullying? Uh, well, my daughter, the young, the youngest one, she, you know, I've seen it just firsthand with her. Um, but yeah, they come home and they show you the, 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 the uh, Snapchats or the, uh, the TikTok now is everything's TikTok. And, you know, you're just like, that's ridiculous. And, and you can't, you, you risk isolating them if you take away their phone, and then mm. now you've just become part of the problem. Now they, their friends are going to mock them just because they're not a part of any of the socialization. It, it's a brutal double-edged sword. We, some of my daughter's friends have her parents never let them have a phone. They're not going to get a phone paid for by the parents until they're 18. I feel horrible for that, but like at the same time, you know, maybe that's not terrible. But their kids are isolated, and they have to sneak. You know, can I see your phone? Could I... Uh, you know, because I see what they, they, they still get on, but not with their own phone. It's it's hard. Interesting. Interesting. Hey, Joe, great call. Thank you. Thank you, Frank. Appreciate it. 800-848-9222. Uh, we're going to do the $1,000 minute in a moment, but Chris is on Long Island. Hello, Chris. Hey, Frank. Great show. Thank you. Um, you're welcome. I, I think Paulie's right about one thing. Where Where are the kids who help? Like, where are the kids? Like, when you see something like that going on when we were younger... If someone was helpless or defenseless, it's you, you, you give a hand. You don't 
jump in and beat down, but you, you helped them out. You, you know, know, I wondered the same thing specifically because, and again, I haven't seen the video, so I don't know how this played out, and I don't know how quickly this unfolded, but and I don't know how it ended. Maybe somebody did help, but I wondered the same thing because all the articles that I read said that she was walking with her boyfriend, right? So mm-hmm. what, where was where was the boyfriend? Uh, and look, I, I know there's, you know, four on one, even with a, a boy, you know, it's tough. But where but was the boy? Place. Yeah, where was the boy to rip rip these girls off of of mm-hmm. uh, his girlfriend to take that water bottle away at the very least? Or, you know, if I'm the guy, I'm shielding, I'm throwing myself on top of the, the girl so so that she's not being beaten with the wa- water bottle. So, and again, I don't want to question the motives of a, another 14-year-old, but, but you're right. I, I tell my kids, I tell my kids, I don't care if you get in trouble, if you're helping someone out. I will back you up 100%. You do whatever you have to do to help out. Well, good for you. I'm gonna, I, you know, I'm gonna impart the same message I think to my son, uh, Chris, and that's what I would uh, do if I were a young person. I, obviously, it's easy to say until you're in that situation, but I, I, uh, I think that that's a very healthy message for parents to uh, to bring to their children. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Robert is in Long Beach. Hello, Robert. Uh, great show. Uh, thank, thank you for taking my call. Sure. Uh, my my daughter has been out of school about 10 years now, but um, I think what helped, um, she took Taekwondo. And if she got bullied, you know, you keep abreast of what your kid's doing online. And you, if you, if there's bullying, you bring it to the attention of the school officials. If they do nothing, I tell her, take out the biggest one and let that be broadcast across social media. You break the knee, you break the elbow, you smash the face of the biggest one. And that will put a stop to this. Yeah, so maybe, you know, if the father was aware of this and he had encouraged her to, I don't know, respond more physically to what was going on here, maybe this would have been a little bit of a different situation. Because as I understand, it has been going on for a while. Right, and the video that yeah. the part of the video I saw, there was no boyfriend around. She was at her locker, and she was attacked from the back. And then once she was down, she was stomped by two or three other girls. But you know, I think it was going on for a period of time, whereby which if the father, I think he did bring it to the attention of the school officials. And if they don't want to take action. The next course of action is you do what you have to do to take out one or two of them. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then that would cease. Robert, uh, thank you. I appreciate the call. I'm way late here. Uh, we're gonna do the, those of you that are holding, I will get to all of you, uh, Robert, Frankie, Henry, uh, but um, everyone else. Um, it, so please continue to hold. I'd love to get your opinion on this or anything else that you're eager to talk about. But we're going to give you an opportunity, if you're the seventh caller right now, to 800-848-9222, that's 800-848-9222, to play the $1,000 Minute, where you'll get to answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds, and if you get them right, you will be $1,000 richer. Simple as that. 800-848-9222. Go ahead, be the seventh caller straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's... 
Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Continue with your calls in just a moment, but first, it's time for The Other Side of Midnight presents It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Morano. All right, let us say hello to Rob in Baltimore. Hello there, Rob. Good morning. Rob, have you heard this contest before? I have. Great. Okay. So you know the rules, right? I do. All right. So let's get started if you're ready. All right. What holiday is taking place tomorrow? Valentine's Day. What team won the Super Bowl yesterday? The Chiefs. What imaginary line runs through the middle of the earth? The equator. Who wrote the Star-Spangled Banner? Francis Scott Key. Who was Jimmy Carter's vice president? Oh. From Minnesota. <clears throat> also ran for president himself in 84. <clears throat> Drawing a blank. Uh, sorry, it was Walter Mondale was the vice president Mondale. under uh, Jimmy Carter. I'm sorry, Rob, you did That's not right. win. Um, hey, do we have magnets ready yet to give give out? No, okay, Rob. Sorry, we have no consolation prize for you, but we are in the process of coming up with a great consolation prize. We really, really something very good. All right, a lot of people holding. I want to get to people uh, who are kind enough to call in, and uh, we will uh, we'll squeeze in as many calls as we can. Over the next, uh, you know, 20 minutes or so. 800-848-9222. Frankie is in Glendale. Hello, Frankie. Yeah, good morning. Um, uh, this, uh, yeah. Uh, this, yeah, can you hear me? Yep. Okay. Uh, I lost a 15-year-old son. Oh, oh there's I'm nothing, so sorry. Okay, and and, and uh, there's nothing, and it wasn't from, from bullying. It was uh online challenge. Um, that's bad enough, too. Um, I just want to let your listeners know, anybody else affected by a uh, a loss of a child, that there's a wonderful group out there. There's 600 chapters in the United States called, it's called the Compassionate Friends. They can help you through this terrible period. It's never going to go away. Uh, my wife and I are living a nightmare because of this. That's another story. Uh, but um, just... Uh, Try to pass it on. If anybody knows this poor father, you know, there are people out there that can try to help uh, 
with this type of loss. And that, that's basically what I have to say. I feel terrible about it. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, you know, that, that one, one caller that you had there, worried about taking a cell phone away? Listen, pal, go visit your son's grave or daughter's grave every day. Then you won't feel that bad about taking a cell phone away. All right, because there's definitely something wrong with this social media and all the crap, the TikTok out there. All right, go to the grave site like I do almost every day. Uh, Frank, and then you'll have a different story to talk about. Frankie, give me the name of the group again in case people are dealing with something. Uh... It, it, it's called the Compassionate Friends. We belong to the Rockville Center chapter, which is a terrific terrific group uh, we have like 50 couples that get together every month and uh you know it, it it's there's nothing worse than losing a child nothing i went through a lot of stuff i dealt with a lot of things in my life but this is uh you know this one takes it and uh you know i see kids out there in the street doing stupid stuff and uh you know life is very precious and, and it could be gone and gone in an instant i'm going to email you uh some information yeah, about it. Yeah, please. Uh, Frankie, right. I appreciate you sharing that. I'm, I'm, th- I'm sorry for your loss and uh, and your family's loss. Thanks for calling right. in. Uh, appreciate that. 800-848-9222. You know what Frank says? You know, I've known people that have lost children. And, um, you know, it, stay, it does stay with you for, for a lifetime. And, you know, again, not to make everything about William Shatner, but I'm reading William Shatner's book now. And, well, I, I really read it. I'm rereading it. And in... His last three books, he deals with his uh, wife dying, and he his wife was an alcoholic, and uh, she drowned in their pool. And uh, most people believe it was accidental, but uh, some, there's some speculation that maybe she tried to kill herself. He doesn't believe that. He thinks it was accidental. And we spoke privately about this, but he's very candid in the book and in uh, a record that he that he wrote about this. Um, about her death. And he he says in the book that, you know, there's nothing worse than losing a spouse except losing a uh, child, which is a pain so, I'm paraphrasing, but a pain so deep and so searing that it's very, um, it's very difficult to even imagine. He says, I can't even, in the book, he says, I can't even think about it anymore. And doesn't talk about it further. You know, uh, I, I, please, you know, I, I would, I'm beside myself every time I think about something happening uh, to my own son. All right. Now, I, um, I don't know. It's really, really incredibly disconcerting. It's such a sad story. Such a sad story. In terms of something that is far more upbeat just because I'm going to be sitting here crying for the next 20 minutes if we uh, still focus on this. Those of you that, if you're holding, I will try and get to you. But honestly, the, the last series of calls that we just took, I don't know, it took a lot out of me. I mean, again, and I'm not uh, taking anything away from their grief. But so, um, by the way, just the other caller that called and said about uh, taking someone's phone away, I think he, I didn't, I don't think he meant to be insensitive. I think he was just saying you don't want your child to be bullied because she's the only one or he's the only one without a phone. I, I think I thought he came from a very good place. I, I don't think he meant anything by it. One thing that I thought was kind of fun 
was a Super Bowl ad that many of you probably didn't see. I don't know if you remember, but about two years ago, uh, I did a an interview with a documentary filmmaker about uh, the last blockbuster video store in the world, and it's in uh, it's in Indiana, uh, Oregon, Bend, Oregon. And there's a wonderful documentary about it. I think it's just called The Last Blockbuster. It's really well made. And I had the, the documentarian on, and he was interesting. And so uh, this store, the last blockbuster in Bend, Oregon, has been teasing an upcoming ad on Instagram. And their Instagram handle is Blockbuster Bend, with a post that says, is the world coming to an end, or is Blockbuster releasing its first commercial in a really long time? Well, they did. They released a commercial during the Super Bowl yesterday. It didn't air during the game. But when it was halftime, they released it on Instagram. Here was the last blockbuster Super Bowl ad. When the world ends and the internet streams no more. We'll still be here. So I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, the general manager was quoted to, uh, I think, CNN as saying, I wanted to do two things with the ad. One was to show that small businesses can also do creative and fun things for Super Bowl. And it's not just an opportunity for the big companies and their big ads. You know, that is creative. And I wish I'd thought of that. Maybe next year we'll do a Super Bowl ad for this show. Not to air on, you know, during the game, but just, you know, on my YouTube channel, by the way, is uh, Murano Vision, by the way. You can subscribe to it. You know, maybe we'll just put it up there. We also want people to remember us that we're here and our store is exactly the way a Blockbuster store was in the 1990s. If I'm ever in Oregon, I'm going to visit this store. It's so cool. But you think about it. At one time, Blockbuster operated more than 9,000 stores nationwide, renting movies, renting video games. But now you don't need that because of Netflix and everything else. Blockbusters fell one by one. There were only 10 left in 2017. Now there is just one. One. And it's in Oregon. Um, The big story, though, no doubt about it, is these UFOs that we keep shooting down. Shot one down yesterday over Michigan. The day before that, over Canada. The day before that, over Alaska. Where in the world today is the next UFO going to be shot down? That's what I'd like to know. Um, Kevin called the uh, Curtis Slewa program talking about UFOs uh, over the weekend. This is what Kevin said. Uh, let's go to Kevin, who's calling all the way from Sedona in Arizona. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Kev. Hey, Mr. Slee, it was a pleasure to speak with you. I've been involved with the, uh, the UFO organizations for the last 30 years. It's what actually got me out here. The one thing that I will say is two things. Number one, Lloyd Austin is from Raytheon, right? He was a board member. He continues to push anything war-related, like you said. And number two, we tend to see clusters of UFOs when nuclear war is very present in our day-to-day activity. Think about the last year with the Ukraine. Every day we've got this march of... World War II, World War III, World War III, nuclear weapons. And that's when we tend to see, if you look back in 
47 and 46 when the nuclear bombs were first created. That's when Roswell, New Mexico, etc. So this should not be downplayed as just balloons. This actually could be something greater than that. I'll be honest. I think there could be something to this. I uh, I really do. And I'm not being provocative. I'm not being, you know, scintillating. I really do think that there could be something to that. All right. 800-848-9222. If you want to, even though we've kind of villainized, and I think rightly so, social media over the course of the last 45 minutes, if you want to follow me on Facebook, you can do so at facebook.com slash Fan. We also have a Facebook group that you can join. Uh, if you go to my Facebook page, you can see some of the pictures from the uh, Shatner event on uh, on Friday. One, including Bill Shatner and me, a couple of us on stage, uh, but also you can see the plexiglass setup. So I can understand why some people were upset if they paid $100 and then they waited in line and then they they kind of were behind plexiglass. But I also understand it from Shatner's perspective the guy's 92 years old. He's going to take pictures with 900 people in three days. Obviously, you know, one of them is sick, right? Uh, whether it's COVID or the flu or something else. You know, when you're 92, who needs that? Especially, you know, when you're working as much as Bill is. All right. Uh, 800-848-9222. We'll do 15 seconds of fame straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. You can uh, send me an SMS text message at 8168-MORANO. And, you know, there's one text message that I got that I wish I had seen earlier. I was talking about, I was talking about Abraham Lincoln, who, um, you know, I, I said was a very skilled orator. And this person, uh, this is very funny. He said, Lincoln was also a tremendous vampire hunter which is an aspect of his personality and his career that probably doesn't get as much attention as it should, right? All right, without further ado, uh, we are going to give you an opportunity. If you want to stay in touch via email, you can, uh, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. And uh, I started the show, and I, I had only 30 emails left to get to. Or maybe, yeah, I think around 30. I'm now up to 50. 50. So I'm getting, I'm working my way through these emails but as I've said before, I feel like Sisyphus. You know, as the faster I answer them, the faster they come back to me. All right. Without further ado, it is time for... The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. E. Frank. Yes. Frank, now that the Kansas City Chiefs have won the Super Bowl, 
for the third time. Can't we all get along, please? Can't we all get along? Steve. Republicans don't talk about visa violations because China is the number one visa violator. Criminal students and the teachers who protect them must be removed from the school system. Go Buchanan, go. Mike. Morning, Frank. Uh, a suggestion for you. Perhaps you could put Mr. Shatner's used tissue and the pocket protector used to hold it on eBay. And any monies raised could go toward Carmine's college fund. Joe. It's Joe from Long Conquer. I want to shout out Frankie from Glendale. I met him through this radio station. He's a great individual. I agree with him 100%. Put your phone down. Spend time with your kids. Social media is safe. Harold. Sizzamoron, 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 Sizzamoron. Ralph. Uh, it was nice to uh, come in, you know, to Kevin McCartney for passing the China's insurance wheel. And go, Kevin, uh, go to Taiwan. Thank you. You know, Ralph, those are the words we really needed to hear in, in this time. 800-848-9222. Robert. Those are Chinese drones, not UFOs. Robert. Robert. Good morning. Go ahead. It was during the Lincoln administration that the greatest mass execution in American history occurred in Mankato, Minnesota in 1863. Thank you, Robert. 800-848-9222. Marie. Hi. How are you guys? Um, I forgot what I was going to say, but here it comes. William Shatner has a show on Netflix called The Unexplained. I'm sure you're aware of that, Frank. Yeah. And real quick. Ian Anderson, Ian Anderson of Just Soto, has been releasing big white balloons, spy balloons, at his concerts for like 35 years. And, and stop bullying, because if I was that parent and my kid was bothering somebody, I would want to know to help it. M- Marie, thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it. All right, that slams the lid on things for today. Back tomorrow, um, we'll see what we've shot down by then. You know it's going to be something else today, right? All right. Uh, Frank Morano, good day.